Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and the world sports. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, joined as always by my wonderful co-host, Enrique Cisneros, and let's jump right into this. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good, buddy. How are you? Doing fantastic. I am so ready to get into all of this. So on today's show, we're going to go over our weekly questions, NFL news as always, uh, finish up our breakdown of the NFC South with the Atlanta Falcons and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, check in on the NBA Finals, and then sneak a little bit of NHL hockey in there. And last but certainly not least, our UFC 275 preview show. So uh, to kick us off here, let's go ahead and, and review our weekly questions. We got two of them for you guys. Uh, our first one here today, who will win the NFC South? What are you thinking, Enrique? Um, yeah, I, 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 I have to go with the Buccaneers. Um, and that's purely based on the fact that uh, Tom Brady's still their quarterback. You know, it, it's really hard for me, uh, especially as a Jets fan, to pick against Tom Brady. Um, but especially now that, I mean, honestly, Tom, the Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been the best team that he's played for, like player-wise, um, you know, for a very, very long time. Um, just because I, I really do believe, and I'm sure Patriots fans would argue this, um, but I really do believe, and you're starting to see that now as Tom's not in New England. Uh, I do believe that the later years in New England, the roster started to get a little bit weaker, um, you know, and that's just guys get old, they trade guys, they do their thing, and guys have to develop, and they haven't necessarily hit on draft picks lately. So, yeah, I would probably say that the fact that Tom is playing with some of the best players in the NFL still, um, most of them have come back. I, I think one of the big missing pieces in the Dominican too um but you know obviously they felt like they can do do whatever without him and i think they just drafted a defensive tackle as well so um you know um i'm i'm going to lean towards the uh tampa bay buccaneers and that's only because of tom brady himself and i think the biggest advantage in that division is the quarterback play yeah i'm right there with you yeah tampa bay back in uh, buccaneers uh I, I agree with you. The Twitter poll we got, uh, they tied 50-50 between the Saints and Buccaneers. So, uh, you know, on the poll, it was a toss-up. But uh, I'm with you that I think Tom Brady is the piece that uh, squarely puts the Buccaneers above the Saints, in my opinion, um, on Jameis's best day, which, you know, I mean, who knows, you know, different, uh, maybe this timeline, maybe a different timeline, he could hit a ceiling. Uh, and become one of those more elite guys. But I think on a good Jameis day, you're, you're still not even anywhere near the conversation of quarterback that Tom Brady is, um, you know, greatest of all time, no conversation there. He's on a war path too. He's looking for his uh, final Super Bowl before he retires. Um, it's going to be tough to compete with that, certainly as the Saints, um, with a lot of change going down at that team. So, yeah, uh, I have to agree with you probably going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, and then for our second question here, uh, who wins the UFC 275 main event between Glover Teixeira and Yuri Prohashka? Well, I mean, <clears throat> honestly, as a, a big UFC stand, I'm going to have to go with Yuri. And that's, um, I just, I've seen Yuri fight before. Um, and, you know, just like me and you were just talking about, 
if you guys have not seen his highlight KO of Dominic Reyes, you guys really are missing something because it really is just such a like dynamic, dynamic knockout. The elbows are vicious. Um, you know, he like spins and hits him with his elbow, and it just is one of the nastiest knockouts I've ever seen. Um, I think Yuri is just young and hungry, and this is like a very like almost like typical, you know, old veteran champion versus young up and coming fighter. And, you know, this young up and coming fighter, I just really do believe is the guy that's going to take out Glover and nothing against Glover. He really has been great since he's um, been here and been fighting his last few fights, especially um, beating um, Jan Blahovic. Um, cause I didn't, I didn't have any faith that he would beat Jan, but he did. And he's the man for it even more so, especially defying the, you know, trend of old champions, not necessarily winning all the time. So yeah, I'm going to have to go with Yuri, um, to take the dub. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you, Enrique. Uh, I think it's probably going to be Yuri. Um, you know, you would love the story with, uh, Glover Teixeira, you know, the old man, he finally got his hands on that belt at 42 uh, years old. And um, you would love to see him uh, win again and defend that belt. But I think Yuri's a young gun coming up in the division. Like you said, had a nasty knockout. He's got a lot of power. Um, and, you know, I think uh, you could potentially see Glover uh, get him with his grappling skills. Um, Cause I do think that that's a, a not even necessarily weak spot, uh, but he's just not as strong of a grappler as he is at, uh, or seems to be so far. Um, of a striker. So uh, that could potentially be somewhere where Glover can get him out. But um, I think Yuri has enough power that it's probably going to be a pretty quick fight. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll have to see, but, and we'll definitely talk a little bit more about that uh, when we go through our full UFC 275 preview in a little bit here. Uh, so that does it for our questions today. Uh, and then we're going to go ahead and go into some NFL news. Unfortunately, a uh, little bit of sad news this week. Uh, Jeff Gladney, cornerback for the Cardinals, uh, drafted by the Vikings, uh, died in an auto accident uh, at the way too young age of 25. Um, our thoughts in, uh, are with his family and friends. And uh, yeah, just super sad. Never want to see somebody go that young. Uh, auto accidents are always really hard to see. Yeah, absolutely. And um... You know, my thoughts and prayers definitely go out to the family, um, especially for, you know, a young man around the same age as us. Um, I, I, my heart is – it's just been a really rough week for the NFL in general. And, you know, as you get to the second headline, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then our second headline, uh, unfortunately, another death. Former Cowboys running back Marion Barber III died at age 38. Uh, he's found in his apartment and – um, yeah, I mean, still too young at 38. I mean, it's yeah, uh, awful to hear. And I mean, it, it brought up memories, uh, such a fun player. I think like for me, uh, like I've always been drawn to my favorite numbers, 24, uh, because of champ Bailey on the Broncos. And so like, I was automatically drawn to other players that wore 24, uh, and Marion Barber was one of those players growing up that I liked because of that. Um, but then also because of his play as I watched him and he's such a physical running back. Um, he was shifty too, and ha had that speed. And uh, you always think about that basically all time highlight 
uh, against the Patriots where they were backed up like within their 10 yard line. Um, when he tries to run it and gets pushed back into the end zone and breaks like five or six tackles and fights as hard as he can to get out of the end zone and back to the line of scrimmage. And I think that play just like embodies football and like embodying, like not giving up and uh, you know, the physicality and uh, just giving 100%, 110% of your effort. Uh, even when it, you know, looks like, I mean, you're in the end zone. Some people would just lay down, you know, but he fought and broke multiple tackles just to get back to the line of scrimmage to make it to second down. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that play always comes to my mind when I think about Marion Barber III and uh, really unfortunate to see that news. Yeah, absolutely. And very well spoken and very well put. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm a few years older than you, so – um, I definitely got to really watch um, Marion Barber. He like when I heard about this, I was extremely, uh, you know, deeply saddened because he just is one of those players that has so many memories in my head. You know what I mean? Like I still, you know, Marion the Barbarian was his nickname. Yeah. Um, you know, and he was the Cowboys. Um, you know, he was the Cowboys running back for such a long time. The Cowboys are, you know, a media darling and a national spotlight team. And so Marion Barber was always on the television. Um, and he was like, to me, he was like the OG Marshawn Lynch, you know, like, yeah, he, he, he almost like to me, like his body types, even really close. They both were 24. Um, and like their styles of running are so similar. And that Patriots play um, that you're talking about, I, I, that's one of my favorite plays by him as well. Another play that, uh, and you, you'll, you'll probably like this one because it has to do with the Broncos that I remember from Marion Barber um, was when Tim Tebow was the quarterback, uh, Marion Barber actually, <clears throat> instead of um, running for a first down, I think he ended up getting tackled short of it and it gave the Broncos the ball back. Uh, and I think Tebow, uh, it was when Marion Barber played for the bears um, after he left the Cowboys Yeah, and um, Tebow put, uh, got him into field goal range and then um, whoever your guys' kicker was at the time, maybe Elam? It might maybe have Matt been Elam. It, might have, it was either uh, Elam or Prater, yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, or it might have been Prater just taking over. But, um, yeah, they were able to kick that, uh, kick that game winning field goal here at home. And it was like the Chicago Bears game versus the Denver Broncos um, when Tim Tebow was the quarterback was like still one of the most electrifying games I've ever seen ever. Um, and Marion Barber was a big on, on his end. It was unfortunate, but he was a big part of it. Um, and so, yeah, my thoughts and prayers definitely go out to the families of those two guys. Um, both of them passed away at way too young of an age. And um, yeah, it's definitely going to be sad to see a, a legend like Marion Barber go. And honestly, it makes me feel like, uh, it makes me feel really sad too. Cause this is one of the guys we both grew up watching, you know? So, you know, you just, uh, you hate to see stuff like that happen. And yeah, I'm just, it's been, um, I mean, I really do feel so unfortunate cause I feel like the last three weeks of the podcast, we've started out with such grim news. So, um, I'm just hoping that things start to lighten up here pretty soon. Yeah. Sometimes the world can be a little cruel like that. And, um, but we just want to make sure that we highlight these unfortunate things and, uh, you know, bring our, our 
or, you know, share our thoughts and uh, bring our thoughts to those families and those grieving. And yeah, it's so sad. And, and I, I totally agree. I remember that game uh, fondly, obviously that Tebow season was uh, very interesting. Um, and yeah, any game that I saw Marion Barber third in, uh, like definitely one of those players that I was just like, oh yeah, I like that guy. I'm rooting for him. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunate news, but certainly brings up some fond memories. Um, and then our third story here, uh, some Broncos news, the charges against Jerry Judy dismissed. And uh, yeah, I mean, the first time we talked about this, I, I think that this was the expected outcome. Uh, his girlfriend, uh, once they, you know, got out of that situation, things calmed down, uh, you know, essentially all he really did was put some items in his car and lock them after she took his phone and it was an argument. So uh, she didn't want those charges to be uh, actually placed upon him. They end up being dismissed here. Um, so yeah, he he should be good to go uh, from here forward. Hopefully that's the end of this and uh, doesn't happen again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, good for Jerry Judy. Glad everything I worked out. Good for the Broncos. So good let's stuff. just learn a lesson here, fellas. It's just not yeah. – not lock stuff in cars. You can get in trouble for it. So, Exactly. Because that's a crime, I guess. So, And then our fourth story here uh, related to one of the teams we're going to break down a little bit later. Defensive tackle Akeem Hicks signing with the Buccaneers on a one-year deal. Um, yeah, you even mentioned uh, talking about who will win the uh, NFC South, the loss of uh, Nadamkin Sue. And uh, yeah, I mean, still a solid player at his age. Very smart guy. Um, you know, so definitely not nothing to lose and has been a solid piece for them when he's been there. Um, but I think uh, picking up Keem Hicks does relieve that a little bit, even if they do different things on the line. Um, they're not necessarily filling the same exact role, um, but that just gives them more depth to move, move around. Um, they did draft somebody on the defensive line as well to develop. Um, they've got some depth there. So, yeah. Good signing for the Buccaneers, uh, and we'll talk a, a little bit more about that later. And then our next story, or actually our next few stories, uh, a lot of big retirements this week um, from some uh, big players, really. So our first one, quarterback Ryan Fitzmagic, otherwise known as uh, uh, Fitzpatrick, uh, signs a one-day deal to retire as a – or I'm sorry – uh, he's retiring after or from the NFL after 17 seasons, and he played for 10 different teams, uh, including your New York Jets. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very fond of Ryan uh, Fitzpatrick. Obviously, share a name with him. Um, just a fun, fun player. He's a very smart dude. He went to Harvard, um, had a high score on the Wonder League test. Um, and, yeah, he just could never really stick as a franchise quarterback. Um, but – he had fulfilled a, you know, bridge starting quarterback role for 10 different teams, essentially, um, throughout his tenure and was like good enough. And I think he had the charisma uh, and like just being a good dude, like um, kind of like Josh McCown, just like a really good dude who's just barely good enough to stick around in the league um, that I think people took a liking to over time um, and has kind of become like, almost a walking legend in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then even more so, 
like especially with Fitz Magic retiring for me, like he literally led he was like the best Jets quarterback um post Mark Sanchez. Literally. That's fair. So he literally led us to our last double digit win season. Um Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker were there. Shout oh, out. Yeah. Uh, um Brandon Marshall went over a thousand yards. Um Fitz Magic threw like 31 touchdowns. We were in the playoff race for the last time. Um I think that was in 2015. So yeah, Fitz Fitz Magic was the dude. I remember when he was a Bill and he was like fucking it up and he got that big ass contract extension and then he kind of like fell down a couple stages from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dude, like shout out to Ryan fucking Fitzpatrick. That dude has been an amazing quarterback. He did wonderful things for the Jets and I wish him the best in retirement and he, he's probably going to be big time chilling because uh, one, I'm pretty sure I read that he made a fuck ton of money uh, over mm-hmm. his career. Um, and I bet you a big part of that was from the Bills. Um, but yeah. he's going to get a broadcasting deal somewhere. You know what I mean? Like, he's a beyond smart dude. If you've ever heard him talk, like, he's, you know, he knows how to talk to people. He knows how to handle the media. Uh, he's charismatic behind the mic. Like, you know, like, remember when he was playing for the Buccaneers and he was balling out, like, the first five fucking games? And he was, like, showing up in, like, Versace and shit. Like, yeah. had his chest hair all flowing. Like, come on, son. He was just at the Bills game, freezing ass. Like, so good. Dude, he's just a treasure. He's just a national treasure. So shout out to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Congratulations on your astounding career. Um, I don't think he will make it to the Hall of Fame, but if there's like a secondary Hall of Fame of like players I love, like the Hall of the Hall of Fame of Enrique's love, I would say <laughs> yeah. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan, <laughs> Ryan Fitzpatrick belongs there. Sure. No, I'm, I'm right there with you in the hall of uh, Ryan's love. And like, yeah, I mean, he's, he's such a likable guy. Like you said, he's a smart guy. Uh, he's going to have a great time doing the um, uh, broadcasting. Uh, I think he said, uh, or the headlines at least say that he's talking with Amazon. So I guess it'd be like the Thursday night games. Um, so yeah, that's, that would be something to be, uh, to look forward to. Uh, and I'm definitely very excited to see his career going forward there. And um, yeah, I mean, that fits magic uh, nickname coming from the fact that like he was so he was middling as a quarterback because he would just he would have really good stretches and then really bad stretches. And like you said, when he got paid, like he usually didn't play very well afterward. That be, kind of became a theme. So teams just didn't pay him anymore and they just like used him for two years. And they just didn't pay him anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, but at the same time, yeah, you say like didn't pay him anymore as in like a long-term contract, but collecting those one or two year quarterback money contracts, like you said, he ended up getting a lot of money. Um, kind of like Sam Bradford, like just chilling, not doing much as a quarterback, but because he's a quarterback and he's like a first round pick sitting there just collecting money um but yeah i mean so um yeah you love to see it for him uh i wasn't sure if he was gonna you know to hang around for a few more years um it seemed like because he really kind of hasn't really been a uh backup 
like now that I think about it, most teams that he's come in on, he may have ended up a backup if another uh, quarterback came in and, and played, but he didn't like, uh, you know, sign with the team without a chance of making it. And so now at this point in his career, I was wondering if he was going to transition into being just a straight up backup. Um, but he decided to retire. And I mean, yeah, good for him. Don't get his uh, uh, body beat up anymore. Um, and yeah. Uh, and then our next retirement story here, Frank Gore signing a one day deal to retire as a 49er played for five teams and had a 17 year career as well. Um, yeah. I mean, Frank Gore, really fun player, power back, uh, likable guy, um, started out on the 49ers obviously. So signs a one day deal to retire with them. Uh, love to see that. And he has racked up. He's, he's interesting because he's never really been like, you know, straight up the best running back in the league or like been just absurdly good or anything, but he's been very good for a very long time for 17 years, which is unheard of as a running back essentially. Um, And so he's racked up a ton of uh, records and a ton of stats and everything. Uh, Some of those are, he has the most seasons with 1,200 yards from scrimmage just ever of any player. Most seasons with 500 plus or 600 plus yards, uh, 16 and 14 seasons respectively. And then he's tied with Emmett Smith for most seasons with 700 plus yards rushing with 13. Most career games by an NFL running back with 241. And then he's third all-time in career rushing yards. Um, and I, I've seen some conversations of like, is Frank Gore a Hall of Famer? Uh, yeah, Frank Gore is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, especially because of those five teams, he played for the Jets. Automatically yep. makes him a Hall of Famer. Exactly. But um, yeah, Frank Gore was a legend, dude. Like he, like we got to literally watch this Hall of Famer. And the even crazier part is that he's a low key Hall of Famer. And it's very disrespectful, disrespectful to say that he's not a Hall of Famer, but it's partially because he, like, like you said, like, I would say at his best as a 49er, like in his prime, I would say he probably was like top 10, right? Right. But I don't think he was ever like, and granted, there was like legends playing back then too, like LT was the best running back like LT used to literally be the top five best running backs back then. He was all five spots. Yeah, all five. So yes, I agree. Um, and so like, yeah, when you have guys like that playing, it does take away shout out to LT by the way, cause he was also a jet. Um, it takes away some of the shine from the other guys. And Frank Gore was unfortunately one of those guys. And plus he's always been a quiet dude, you know, he's never been in the media really uh, never been in trouble, you know, just, motherfucking shows up to work gets a thousand yards a season and is just a stud running back and he never ages he never ages ever go look at a picture of frank gore from 2005 when he got in the league and look at a picture of frank gore now and he's like literally the same looking dude he's not aged whatsoever and his son's uh playing in college right now he's running back as well so shout out to frank gore congratulations on your career your hall of fame career and, um, yeah, just keep knocking dudes out in boxing, I guess. 
Right. Exactly. Got to start that. He's retiring so he can start that boxing career professionally. That's full-time. That's what I was just going to say. He's just going to go box for 17 years now <laughs> yeah, and exactly. up a Hall of Famer. Right. Yeah. No, 100%. Um, yeah. I mean, love Frank Gore. Uh, really happy for him. And uh, yeah, like you said, talking about his son in college, like people were uh, talking about him playing until his uh, son got through college, which I think he's only got like a year or two now. Um, I, I'm not really, I, I didn't follow up enough to know if he's like an actual prospect or not. Um, but that would have been pretty cool. Kind of like LeBron and Bronny. Um, so yeah, but um, I think it was about time for him. But with that said, like you said, he never ages, you know, as in terms of his face, he almost never aged as a player either. Like it's almost absurd to look at is like, yes, obviously he did decline, but even in his later seasons as an old man, he's putting up respectable numbers, like a few hundred yards and like on decent carries, like, you know, four and a half close to five uh, yards per carry, like at 30 something as a, like, it's almost unheard of at that position. And you uh, like with most running backs, especially in today's league with the way running backs are viewed almost as like discardable, you know what I mean? Like you use them for two years and then get rid of them because they're over the hump already. Like that's almost the attitude to right. running backs. And then you have Frank Gore over here putting up respectable numbers and staying relatively uninjured while doing it for 17 years. So got to love it. Um, and then our next story here, Eagles offensive lineman Brandon Brooks finally retires. Um, yeah, I mean, good for him. I think it was time for him. And I, on the opposite of an end of like Frank Gore with mostly being uninjured in a often injured position, uh, Brandon Brooks has really struggled with injuries over the last like half decade. Um, and just for his own physical health, I'm glad to see him. Uh, finally go for the Eagles, to be honest with you. He's a great player, though. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he had a great career. Uh, it was just tough to see him battle so hard through injuries the last few years and then get re-injured. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, I mean, he's been an Eagle forever, too. So Yeah. Um, I'm glad he got that yeah. Super Bowl, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Glad he got the ball. Glad he got the ring. Got his money was able to play for a franchise for a really long time. And yeah, like dude was getting hurt like crazy. So um, I am glad that, uh, yeah, I'm glad for, like you said, for his physical health, um, I'm glad he's, I'm glad he's able to hang it up and go. Um, I'm uh, first of all, all the guys that are retiring today um, or that we're talking about retiring today. I'm just glad they're able to all go out the way they want to go out, you know, yeah. because you hate to see, you know, um, you know, like Ryan Sh uh, Shazer, uh, you yeah. hate to see careers get ended that way. Um, yeah. So to see the, especially like you said, Frank Gore, um, you know, Brandon Brooks, offensive lines, a hard position as well. Um, yeah. You know, you got Aaron Donalds and Khalil Max charging at you every day, um, trying to take you the fuck out. So uh, uh, glad to see Brandon Brooks, uh, Brandon Brooks uh, able to hang it up on his own terms. So yeah, congratulations on your career as well. Yeah, no, and exactly to your point with uh, offensive line being tough uh, on injuries is like one of the hardest parts of watching football to me is watching play after play after play where on whether it's a run play 
whether it's a pass play and it's like the edge coming around and like, you know, coming around the edge and he's going almost at full speed and then rams into the back of the um, offensive lineman's legs, like their hamstrings or their uh, calves or whatever. Like, oh, I just, that is, it's physically pains me to watch. And it happens on such a regular basis. Um, And that's just one of the things that, offensive linemen deal with. I mean, you think about like the arm injuries and the hand injuries from the battles with the defensive linemen, like that's a very tough position. Um, and yeah, Brandon Brooks definitely struggled with those lower body injuries. Um, and uh, yeah, but yeah, I mean, like you said, just glad to see them. Uh, it's a really good point. Glad to see them be able to go out on their own terms. And uh, the fact that they had such a long career uh, is a credit to them and their work ethic and their uh, want to play the game and uh, all that stuff. And so, yeah. Uh, And then uh, our next one here, Alex Mack, uh, center for the 49ers, officially retires, uh, longtime Falcons center as well. Um, Yeah, very good player. Um, About time for him to hang it up as well. But he's he's been putting up solid numbers, like pretty much his whole career. Yeah, Alex Mack, look, he's probably a Hall of Famer as well. Yeah. super 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 solid um career um uh, like he used to play for the browns um yeah. alongside joe thomas so yeah and like they were the centerpieces of the offensive line for years and years um and then finally he said fuck this and bounced out um i thought he went to the falcons first and then he went to the 49ers maybe he went straight to the 49ers i don't know but um yeah shout out alex mack um really um you know, kind of unfortunate for Brandon Brooks, but Alex Mack uh, almost had the opposite. I don't really remember him getting uh, hurt really ever. Um, you know, may, I, I would imagine he's probably had at least one big injury in his career. He's played so long, but um, yeah, shout out Alex Mack. I'm glad, uh, glad he was able to cap a wonderful, probably Hall of Fame career. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately that the, the uh, 49ers cuz that uh unless he I think I think he went to the Falcons after the 2016 run, right? Or was he part of that 2016 run? No, because, I think he was part of it. Was he? Okay, so then that year and the 2018 49ers year if he came over to the 49ers at that point would be the closest he's got he got to a ring um and he couldn't each time. Um so it would have been nice to see him get a ring, but um, yeah, like you said, great career. Wasn't injured too often, or at least we don't remember it. And I mean, that's kind of honestly the best compliment that you can give uh, a center and like most offensive linemen is like, if you don't hear about them that often, other than people telling you that they're good, you know what I mean? Or when you actually watch them and uh, evaluate them, like if you don't hear about them, them that often in the headlines, like, cause they're not getting canned on for giving up penalties or giving up sacks or whatever. It usually means they're doing a pretty dang good job. Um, or like, you don't hear about them cause they're not getting injured. And I feel like that kind of is Alex Mack's uh, career to a T is like, you really didn't hear about him all that often in big headlines. Cause he wasn't messing up that much and he wasn't getting injured that much. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, uh, one more thing to add on about Alex Mack. Uh, I love that he wore 55 as a center. I just think yeah. it looks clean as fuck. I, lo- I think it just looks clean as fuck. 
And I love that he wore it with like all of his teams too, because like it just makes the jersey collection nice. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, that's a very nice number for an offensive lineman. Um, especially a center. You got the um uh oh my gosh, what do you call that? Where you got the same thing on both sides. It's like a basic word and I can't remember it. But um, oh like like the symmetry 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 there you go thank you symmetrical yeah i could not remember that word for the life of me i appreciate you yeah you got the symmetry is the center right in the middle i love that with the five five that's good stuff um and then our next retirement uh stefan to defensive lineman for the steelers officially retires another pretty long career there um yeah good player for the steelers yeah, good player for the Steelers. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think he retired relatively early too. Um, if I remember right, I think um, his brother had passed away. Um, and I'm not sure if his brother had passed away recently or a, a while back, but um, I know that he was uh, citing part of his retirement due to um, just wanting to deal with that a little bit better. Um, and yeah, I, I wish him the best in his journey. And um, yeah, congratulations on the career. Um, did it really well. Uh, got to the league, and yes, uh, Stefan too. It was a good defensive lineman, you know. So yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, best of luck to him. Absolutely. And then our final one here: Malcolm Jenkins, a safety for the Saints, officially retires. Uh, longtime Eagle safety as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, great, great player for a long time. Uh, one of the kind of ball hawks of the league and smarter safeties. Um, yeah, uh, glad to see him. Uh, another example of a long career. Um, and relatively, I think he struggled with a couple like leg injuries throughout his career, but relatively decent on injuries as well. Um, and just a solid force in the league for uh, 10 plus years. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you just. Uh, I, I remember him more as an Eagle than I do as a Saint. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a, a very good player. Um, you know, really can't say enough about Malcolm Jenkins. Just a very good player. Um, all in all, just a solid player throughout his whole career. Never really, um, I mean, you know, every player has mistakes, but there's no, like, Malcolm Jenkins doesn't have any, like, Raheem Moore type of mistakes in his career. So, right. um, like, national giant spotlight. Ravens throw a touchdown right over your head to win the game. Why are you going to um, make me cry like that, Enrique? I'm sorry, Doc. I'm sorry, Doc. <laughs> I, I am sorry, Doc. Part of this show, too, is uh, me teasing Bronco fans. It's just what it has to be. I just know so many of them. I have to. I have to poke a little fun. Of course. But, yeah, course. Um, shout out. Shout out, Malcolm Jenkins. Um, congratulations on the career. Yes, sir. Yeah, on that 2017 uh, Super Bowl team as well, um, alongside Brandon Brooks. So, yeah, uh, glad to see all those guys retire, like you said, on their own terms after uh, long careers. And, um, yeah, some fun players in there for sure. Um, and the league will be worse off without them there. But um, glad to see their careers cemented into history. And uh, I would expect – oh, I feel like – Okay, Fred Gore is a Hall of Famer. Fitzmagic, right. probably not as much as right. I would love it. Hall of Enrique's love and Ryan's love. And then you have 
Brandon Brooks and Alex Mack. I think Alex Mack for sure, probably Brandon Brooks, but I don't know. I, I don't. I would have to look at exactly how many years of healthy production he had, and then I would say right. like Malcolm Jenkins is probably Hall of Famer. Oh, uh, I would say like Hall of Enrique and Ryan's love. Uh, more for um, Jenkins. I think. Yeah, I think Malcolm Jenkins is really good, but. Like at any time in his career, do you think that he was like the best safety? Yeah, I, I I don't really think at any point you could call him necessarily like the best safety in the league, but I think he was always a steady presence. And then you do have that Super Bowl run; he was critical to that. I I don't know. I mean, I think you're right that maybe that's a little bit of a pipe dream, but I think at least he'd be in the conversation. Like, certainly not um, first ballot Hall of Fame but maybe creeping in there, but there's a lot of players that should go in before. Yeah. I don't know. I honestly, the more I talk about it, I think you're changing my mind on it. Um, okay. But I think he's somewhere in the conversation. I think he's all right. So I, I like, I don't know why I got so crazy on this, but um, his best year was in 2015 when he had 109, combined tackles and let me tell you something about this real quick 109 combined tackles right guess mm-hmm. how many solo 65 fucking no 90 dude fucking 90, wow. dude. dude 90 well that means 19 assisted tackles he had one interception four forced fumbles and a touchdown that year okay so i even looked up 2015 safety rankings and like this is when like david brutton was your guys safety Corey graham and shit was on the bills mm-hmm. so let me see where's all right let me no oh nice come in at 13 we had calvin Pryor for the jets nice will hill for the ravens at 11 will tj ward TJ Ward for the Broncos at nine. TJ. Uh, dude, hold on. If, okay. If he's number one, then he's probably a Hall of Famer. And I'm wrong. Yeah, I mean, that. I, no, Eric Berry this, was number one that year. Okay, that's, yeah, that's fair. That's pretty fair. I, reading out the stats, I, I agree with you. It's like it's a respectable season, but it's not like elite, really. I mean, you could argue, I guess, but if that's his best season, like I may be over That is his best season. Yeah, it's like I may be over inflating his overall career. Um, but yeah, I mean, either way, a, a solid safety in the league for a, a good, um, you know, chunk of years there. And, um, yeah, I mean, had a decent career. Like you said, I, I do think his Eagles uh, years were much more memorable than with the Saints. Um, he was part of those uh, runs with Drew Brees, and, um, but I, I think uh, injuries started to bog him down a little bit as well. Um, and then, yeah, so with that, we can go ahead and move on to our breakdowns. Our first one here is going to be with the Falcons. So I will go ahead and hand it over to you, Enrique. Awesome. Thank you, sir. So I, uh, I volunteered. I volunteered for this uh, Falcons and um, you know what, Ryan, I'm going to have to say, I kind of regret volunteering <laughs> for the Falcons. 
And that's only partially because, like, I, I thought the Panthers were going to be a little bit on the stale side. Actually had a little bit of juice in that. Like, that's a meat in that roster, you know? Yeah. Um, the Colts, we did the Colts before, you know? And that's a, that's a roster right there. Um, and then, you know, obviously, compared to my New York Jets and your Denver Broncos, you know, the Falcons roster is looking a little weak. Um, but ultimately, all in all, uh, I had a good time doing it. So the Atlanta Falcons, their uh, GM is Terry Fontenot, and their head coach is Arthur Smith. Um, and, I mean, let me see. Let me get to – let me pull up their record real quick. So they went 7-10 and 10 last year. Um, and that's obviously Matt Ryan was there last year. So you had more of a cemented quarterback um, than they do right now. Um, obviously their quarterback is going to be Marcus Mariota, um, which, you know, we both love Marcus Mariota. Um, I especially love Marcus Mariota coming uh, out of the draft from Oregon. Um, so we're both hoping that he can kind of revive his career here. Um, I don't necessarily know how likely that is, um, but he did look real good. Uh, for flashes with his time uh, with the Raiders. Um, he, you know, he obviously had his time with the Titans where I th- believe he took him to the playoffs. Um, so, yeah. you know, obviously their roster is, uh, you know, definitely. Too. Oh, sorry. right. Is that when he like popped it up or whatever? Yeah. Sorry. I just had to throw that in there. Cause I love that play. No, dude, I definitely love that play too. Um. Yeah, because what, what? Oh, it got batted, right? That's what happened. It got batted. Yeah, and it was, then, um, it was against the Chiefs, and he threw it like you know, maybe eight yards from the goal line. It got batted right there, and he just caught it and then dived through the pylon. Dang, Marcus Murray like, yeah. a beast, right? Dang, I need to watch that now. That's yeah, a that's, 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 that's an all time play. That no, it really is, dude. That just doesn't just happen. Um. So, you know, obviously Atlanta had a, uh, had a rough season last year. Um, so they had, you know, one of the uh, higher picks in the draft. Um, and, you know, top pick this year was uh, Drake London, which as a Jets fan, I, I mean, we got Sauce and we got Garrett Wilson, so I'm not mad at all. But, um, you know, he was, he was one of those guys that, I wanted the Jets to definitely draft. Um, I mean, I think if you go back on the history of the podcast, um, I was like kind of begging for it um, just because Drake London is such a big bodied wide receiver, um, just really embodies all the traits of a number one wide receiver that I, that I enjoy and that I would look for um, if I was evaluating uh, for a wide receiver, uh, just a big bodied guy. And unfortunately he's stepping into pretty much Right away, top spot, wide receiver one, uh, due to the fact that Calvin Ridley, their uh, number one wide receiver and uh, all pro, uh, pro bowler, um, (laughs) excuse me, um, is suspended for the whole year because he was betting on NFL games. So that's uh, that's definitely going to put a damper on their season. Obviously, not having Matt Ryan, um, you know, so you – already are missing two of your more um, like key figures in the organization. And so you're putting a lot on players that haven't necessarily had the opportunity 
to show that they're uh, they're ready for this. You know, like a Marcus Mariota. You got, I mean, honestly, one of their bigger weapons is, um, you know, a second-year player in Kyle Pitts himself. So, um, but with that being said, we'll get into the roster a little bit. So, this is kind of uh, a what I would imagine is going to be the 53-man roster uh, when it's all said and done. You know, just kind of like what we always do. Um, I'm imagining the Falcons are probably going to keep three quarterbacks this year. Uh, obviously, Marcus Mariota. Then you got the third round uh, pick, Desmond Ritter, who I, I would imagine we're going to see a little bit. Well, I would imagine we are going to see Desmond Ritter a little bit sometimes this year, but I hope we do not. And partially because I want Marcus Mariota to do really good. Um, and also because Desmond Ritter is a very developmental devo- developmental quarterback at this point yeah. in his career. Um, he is one of my favorites coming out of the draft. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he he still is very developmental. And oddly enough, he looks really old for his age. Have you have you seen a picture of yeah. Desmond Ritter? He totally – he looks like an old, uh, like, action film star with his, like, you know, gristled look into the sunset. Yeah, After he looks like uh, yeah, he looks like Clint Eastwood, like yeah, like, yeah, but exactly. like old Clint Eastwood, like yeah, oh yeah, with the squinty eyes, yeah, yeah, like it's crazy. Um, but anyways, and then so we got Marcus Mariota leading the uh, quarterback room, Desmond Ritter, and then Felipe Franks, and um, you know, there's a lot of guys that could end up uh, keeping as their quarterback three, but the Falcons really, really like Felipe Franks, and honestly. Um, the reason why I was kind of complaining at the beginning about looking up the Falcons and researching them is because that's one of their bigger trending stories right now is that Felipe Franks is playing different positions. Uh, he's playing tight end. He's doing all kinds of other stuff for him. So that's why I think he'll end up uh, keeping on and being the quarterback three instead of a more, uh, more veteran pre- uh, presence. Um, you know, but he was an undrafted free agent. So it's always nice to see one of those, UDFA guys uh, stick on. Yeah. And then getting to the running back room, uh, we got the Pro Bowler from last year, right? Cordell Patterson. He made the Pro Bowl, right? He had like a crazy I think year. He did, yeah. He's got to have. He, he made a dumb year. He had a dumb year last year. But, anyways, so Cordell uh, Patterson, running back one, and more of an offensive weapon. They use him all over the place, but he really came alive last year um, running, uh, running and receiving. Um, so, you know, but I mean, he does kickoff returns, you know, former first round pick for the Vikings. He just really has uh, solidified a home there in Atlanta. Uh, then we got Damian Williams after that, uh, Tyler Algieri, and then Quadri Olison. Um, the Falcons ended up letting go Mike Davis. Um, and didn't Mike Davis sign with the Ravens? Yes, he did. It's a good signing. So, very good signing. Um, so, you know, that's obviously going to open up the opportunity for that fourth running back spot, but the, uh, the top three spots should be pretty much locked in. Uh, Damian Williams is a good, uh, veteran addition that can, uh, be a good complimentary back to Cordell Patterson. Uh, cause I don't think Patterson should get, well, I don't know, Ryan, real quick. Do you think Patterson gets better with the more touches he gets? Or do you think he should have less touches? Because, I mean, in my opinion, he's just not really like a power 
style player. You know what I mean? And I worry about kind of in that same realm of like Christian McCaffrey. Um, I worry about maybe giving him too many touches. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think there's obviously that risk reward. Like you got to find the balance there with the amount of snaps you're giving him. Um, and also real quick, I did look it up. Um, he was actually snubbed from last year's uh, Pro Bowl, but he is a four-time Pro Bowler as a returner, which is very fair because he's a Hall of Fame returner in his own right. And then now he's uh, kind of broken out with this uh, uh, role here, um, which I kind of I, I find it a little funny because, I mean, I guess you can say that Debo is different than Cordero Patterson because Debo is more talented as a like straight wide receiver and can right. line up wherever there. But right. I find it funny that everybody talks about the Debo role when uh, Cordero Patterson is essentially doing almost the same thing. Um, but yeah, I do think Debo is a more talented uh, straight up receiver. Um, but yeah, anyways. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, to you, your uh, actual question is like, uh, Snap wise, I think that they have enough weapons now that even though you probably don't want to lean too much on Drake London, the young guy, too, too much, if you can handle that or if you can like manage to um, keep him out of it. Cause like, like you said, he's being pushed into a number one role. If you can kind of make his life easier and just use the other guys more, that would be better for him, I think. Um, but he can take some of the load off Cordero there. Uh, you traded for Brian Edwards, who I think is a solid addition. Then you talked about his uh, uh, ke- ke- uh, chemistry with uh, Mariota coming over from the Raiders, which I do think will factor into that. And he- we may see him be like the favorite target initially. So I-, I-, I think hopefully you don't necessarily have to rack up the snaps with Cordero. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then, you know, they got the rookie Tyler Algieri. I, I hope that's his name. I'm sorry if it's not. Um, so. You know, I would imagine the rookie is probably the favorite to win some early down and short yardage carries just because I think that's like a nice way to work a rookie in. Um, but right. I would imagine that a lot of this offense is going to go through Cordell Patterson. Um, so, yeah, I mean, ultimately, I guess we're just going to have to see. Um, the, the Falcons are just going to have to get very creative offensive-wise because, I mean, and we'll we'll keep going down, but – you'll kind of see where the big pieces are on their offense um, and the real weapons that they're going to have. Um, they do have, they do roll with the fullback. The fullback that I'm thinking is probably going to uh, edge out is going to be Keith Smith. Um, you know, but they also have uh, another guy, John rain, who's kind of like a tight end fullback hybrid uh, that he'll probably compete against um, this year in training camp in training camp for the starting job. Um, and then after that, at tight end, they got the uh, very promising second-year player, Kyle Pitts. And yeah. Kyle Pitts is just a monster. I mean, I saw him. Literally, they had no one last year, right? Because Calvin really had a very weird year last year. Um, so they had no one besides Kyle Pitts last year. And uh, when they needed him to step up, he, he really did do that. He's a very, very talented tight end. And honestly, one that I kind of doubted coming out of college, I didn't know if he deserved the hype that he did. Um, And I'm not really sure why, if I'm being honest with you. I just didn't have a good feeling about him going into the NFL. But he's definitely proved me wrong so far. Um, Just very, very scary tight end. And 
I mean, he was catching everything on the Jets when we played the Falcons in London. Dude had a, a game of a game against us in London. So, um, yeah, they got Kyle Pitts leading the tight end room. Then you got Anthony Fisker. I think that's how you say his last name. F-I-R-K-S-E-R. Firksker? Firksker? Either way. Uh, and then John Fitzpatrick and Parker Heese. Um, the tight end position for the Falcons has always been kind of weird. They always have like pretty much one, like one tight end that's really, really good. And then they have the second and the third tight end, um, are, you know, relatively hit or miss. Um, but the way they're probably going to run this is they're going to have two very clear, um, pass catching tight ends. And then the other two are more than likely going to be very, um, you know, like block heavy oriented tight end usage with the other two guys. Um, so yeah, uh, Kyle Pitts and Anthony uh, Ferkster, uh more than likely will be the top two primary catching targets. And the other two guys will, um, you know, offer very solid blocking and, you know, just, um, you know, a different option out there besides the other two guys. Um, and then after that, we got the wide receivers, um, I got Drake London, Brian Edwards, uh, Auden Tate, and then Olomide Zacchaeus and Damari Bird rounding out uh, the top five there. Um, I think the big two that we have to see, the two questions I, I, I need to know about the wide receivers from Atlanta are, is Drake London going to be as advertised coming out of college? Um, and uh, I mean – Wide receiver is usually a position that can do okay uh, coming into NFL from college. It just, uh, I, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with the receiver themselves and then the, the system they're coming from. Um, Drake London, obviously coming from USC. Um, I'm hoping that the coaches in the NFL level can coach him up as far as route running a little bit. But more than anything, all Marcus Murray has to do is get it in the area for him. And I'm sure Drake London will make something happen. And on the other side, you got Brian Edwards, who's a little bit uh, more, I mean, he still has great size for the position, but um, he's, in my opinion, a bit uh, more of a speedster than Brian or uh, than Drake London is. So with those two guys, you have very complimentary one-two punch um, with your wide opposition. I'm sure they'll use Cordell Patterson a lot in, you know, some sort of, they'll screen pass with him and, um, you know, shift him out as a receiver uh, periodically as well. Um, so that should be really nice to give him a third option there. And then, um, honestly, the rest of the guys really should be uh, looking to just complement and get in where they can fit in. Um, I think more than likely uh, you'll see, like, Damari Bird or they have another guy, uh, Kaderil Hodge, that will compete for uh, special team snaps. But um, – all of them should at least be looked to, uh, you know, break up the routine between Brian Edwards and Drake London um, catching the ball. Um, so after that, get into their offensive line. So at left tackle, we got Jake Matthews. Left guard, we got Jalen Mayfield. Center, we got Matt Hennessy. Right guard, we got Chris Lindstrom. Right tackle, we got Caleb McGarry. And then backing those guys up, we got Jermaine uh, Ida Fetty, we got Elijah Wilkinson, and both those guys can play guard or tackle. Uh, and then we got Drew uh, Dahlman, who's more of a center or guard. 
Um, and then we got Justin Schaefer rounding out the backups there. And he's just more pure guard. Um, you got left tackle uh, Jake Matthews and, you know, the right guard, Chris Lindstrom, both Pro Bowl caliber starters. So they're going to be uh, the anchors of the offensive line. But outside of that, um, you know, the, the rest of the guys uh, might struggle. Um, they had one of the worst offensive lines uh, last year. So it's going to be it's going to be up to them to really set the pace of the season, and they'll determine honestly how good Marcus Mariota is going to be as well, because you know as Russell Wilson and Peyton Manning and these other and Aaron Rodgers and these other quarterbacks know, you know it really does pay to have a great offensive line in front of you. Um, where right now the Falcons have a, a couple pieces on the offensive line for sure, but I definitely I worry about. Marks Mariota's life a little bit, uh, but luckily he's a mobile guy. Um, so on defense there, um, the uh, we'll start out with the edge guys. Um, we got Lorenzo Carter, Arnold Ebigiti. Uh, this last guy, this next guy's name is so uber hard to say, Ryan. Like it's it's crazy how hard this guy's name is to say. So please bear with me. It's Adi Tokumbo Agundije. Wow. It's yeah. That's I, a hard I, one. Dude, it A D E T O K U N B O O G U N D E J I. Like yeah, man. I I I'm not like, brave enough to try it. Like I, I uh, I'm just you saying, for dude. I I had to, you know. It's 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 part of the job. Um, job. So you know, he's a second year player, um, and he's looking to take a step forward uh, this next year. Um, they got the third rounder, uh, D'Angelo Malone. Um, that's a much easier name to say. Um, but they got the third round, like third rounder, D'Angelo Malone, uh, coming in. Um, that's you know. I would imagine he's going to have like a designated pass rush uh, kind of spot this year as a rookie. Um, and then rounding that out, uh, you got John Kaminsky. Um, he's switching back to edge, uh, like more of an edge rusher um, than he was before. Um, and he should help out a lot on uh, special teams as well. And then for the in, uh, inside defensive lineman, um, this position group has probably changed the least. Um, of the Falcons um, just because you got like, you know, you got the pro bowler, uh, Grady Jarrett, you know, who, um, you know, kind of, kind of took a step back this last year. Um, but, you know, partially that's because uh, the Falcons sucked. So, um, you know, it's hard to be one of the best players on a really bad team because sometimes True. you have, you have bad years too. Um so, yeah, we got Grady Jarrett, Marlon Davidson, um, Anthony Rush, Taquan Graham, and Vincent Taylor. Uh, that's Those are going to be the inside defensive linemen. Um, they are thinking more than likely the Falcons are going to use Anthony Rush uh, as a nose tackle. Um, he's shown flashes before, and dude is enormous. Um, I think he's like 6'4", 350, 360 pounds. So he's a he's a really big dude, um, and then second year player to uh, to Claw Graham, 
Um, he'll probably make the roster. He had a, he finished strong uh, the last half of the season uh, last year. So more than likely he'll be uh, on the roster as well. And then, um, you know, Vincent Taylor, just a nice little veteran uh, presence just to add some more rotation uh, to the defensive line. Um, and he should probably get the spot just because he does have a pretty decent upside, pretty decent uh, experience. So he'll, he'll probably be there. Um, then the linebacker group includes Deion Jones, Mikel Walker, Rashawn Evans, and Troy Anderson. Um, they lost Foyotose Olukun in free agency this year. Um, and so they ended up grabbing a linebacker uh, in the second round. Um, it's all – so if Deion Jones stays on the roster, he'll uh, probably be – the starter, but um, you have Mikel Walker, who was a fourth round pick last year or two years ago. Um, he's going to be looking for an expanded role. Um, Deion Jones might end up getting traded. Um, so it's going to be kind of uh, interesting. Rashawn Evans uh, used to be with the Titans, and I would imagine he'll probably be relied upon um, you know, on early downs. Um, and then, you know, you got. Um, Troy Anderson, who's probably going to be uh, on the special on the special teams a little bit more, um, but you know he's very very promising, and I would imagine that he's going to be uh, really pushing those other guys to uh, to get some time on the on the field. Uh, and now, uh, now this is probably my fa- uh, more favorite position group to talk about on the Falcons, um, uh, the cornerbacks, and that's because of uh, their lead man on the corner, uh, in the cornerback room, AJ Terrell. I loved AJ Terrell yes. coming out of college. Um, I thought he was going to be really, really good coming out. Um, and he's been as advertised. I mean, we talked about AJ Terrell a little bit last week and, you know, first couple of years, definitely our first, cause I think this is a third year going to his fourth year or fourth going to fifth, but I think it's third going to four, right? One of the two. Either way, um, first year, um, you know, kind of struggled a little bit, um, you know, but he is just been phenomenal ever since. Yeah, he steadily keeps getting better, steadily keeps improving, um, and he's really turning into like a lockdown uh, kind of island type of corner. Um, and uh, they just revealed their uh, red helmet. Um, yes. Well, wow, that's like, so photos. nice looking. Yeah, and they used AJ Terrell as the model, and just that 24 with the red helmet is just so fucking drippy. It's crazy. Dude, and the gold trim on the top of the helmet, too, the stripe. Oh, yep, love it's it. It's so good. They should honestly, they should just switch to those permanently because yes, they're so good. I agree like, 100%. The, but they should switch that whole unit permanently as well because. Yeah, the Falcons uniforms are interesting sometimes. But um, besides their uniforms, their helmets, and AJ Terrell being a all-pro stud, um, they also have Casey Hayward uh, that they uh, got free agency from free agency this year. Um, he's going to be a very good um, cornerback too, and he should complement AJ Terrell perfectly on the outside. Uh, then you got former second rounder uh, Isaiah Oliver. He came up strong last year in the slot, um, but he uh, 
had a uh, season and injury towards the end of the year. Um, so if he could return to a very, um, a very strong level of play, then the Falcons are going to have a very good starting trio, you know, like AJ Terrell and Casey Hayward and Isaiah Oliver, if Oliver comes back healthy, um, should all be a very, very good uh, starting three there. And then after uh, Oliver, we have Darren Hall. Um, and he's just the very versatile type of guy. Could play inside, could play outside. Um, Avery Williams, um, he kind of struggled a little bit um, playing defense, but he's like very good special teams wise. So he'll probably stick around as like a punt or uh, kick returner. And um, then they have uh, Mike Ford rounding that out. Um, and Mike Ford's going to be. You know, you can kind of insert a few guys depending on what training camp looks like, where Mike Ford's at. Um, but, yeah, I just have him kind of penciled in right now just because he's been a, a very pretty pretty quality special teams guy. And the Falcons have actually um, called him up um, on reserve or, like, you know, from their practice squad. And um, he's he's worked out a few times for him. And then to after corners, we got their safeties. Uh, we got Jalen Hawkins. We got Richie Grant, Eric Harris, and Dean Marlowe. Um, you know, really the top players for the Falcons in regards to Jalen Hawkins and Richie Grant. Um, they haven't really changed. Um, it's still going to be a competition for sure because Jalen Hawkins hasn't necessarily um, locked it down. Uh, but he did play pretty good last year um, when being called upon. Um, you know, Richie Grant is a second-round pick from last year, um, but he wasn't able to outwork Jalen Hawkins. Um, so they're hoping to see some strides from him this year and uh, hoping to see if he can compete, um, you know, for a starting spot there. Um, and then the last two guys are just going to be um, – um, you know, just kind of depth guys from there. Eric Harris had an injury last year. And so, you know, he's going to be uh, coming back into the fold. And honestly, he could probably start or he could compete for a starting spot, depending on how healthy he is coming back. Um, it just kind of depends. And then Dean Marlowe, um, he, start, he ended up starting nine games for the Lions last year. Um, so, you know, you get an experienced guy back there. You got two experienced guys and then two kind of younger guys that um, are still kind of, you know, proving themselves, but are still a, a bit more talented. Um, and obviously they're a little bit younger uh, than the other two guys. Um, and then rounding out their roster here, we got uh, their special teams. We got the kicker with the best name in the league, Young Hoku. Yes. We got the punter. Dude, tell me not, Young Hoku, best name in the league. Love him, Young Hoku. And then we got their punter, Seth Vernon, and the long snapper, Liam Mc, uh, Mc, I don't Mc, McCoolio? I don't know how to say his last name. But yeah, ultimately, um, Young Hoku's got that job. They actually just gave him a pretty sizable extension, um, and he'll, he'll be at least with the Falcons for 2026, unless something very, uh, very strange happens. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much their roster. Um, I mean, you definitely have a few, a few positions of talent. Um, you know, like corner looks real good. Um, I would say they're 
inside defensive line looks a little bit better to me than uh, like their edge guys. Um, you know, on the offensive line, definitely shaky for sure, but you do have a, a few guys there and Jake Matthews. Um, and then I would say, honestly, their wide receiver, if you're going to count Cordell Patterson as a wide receiver, and I kind of count him as like a running back slash wide receiver because I know that's how they're going to use him. Um, just like you said, that Debo role. I would say their wide receiver group is the thing that I think, well, besides Marcus Mariota, right? Because the quarterback's always the most important position on the field. Um, besides Marcus Mariota, I think the wide receiver group is going to be one of the things that kind of determines what kind of, uh, what kind of season they have, you know, because they really don't have a lot of firepower outside of Drake London and Brian Edwards. And so, you know, I would imagine that heading into next year, you know, teams are going to be able to kind of target those guys a little bit, you know, so hopefully they're able to just, you know, at least for Drake London's sake, he's able to come out playing hot and, um, yeah, they're really going to miss Calvin Ridley though. Um, and especially when you start looking at their, um, their schedule for next year, um, you know, they have a pretty rough one if I'm being honest with you. Um, so right away coming out the gate, they got the saints who, you know, we were just talking about the saints possibly winning the division The saints are very loaded. We did an excellent breakdown on them last week just to show the quality of roster and stars that they have all along that roster. So week one, Saints, then you got the Rams. So that's that's two first games, super, super hard. You got to play the defending champs right away. And you got the Seahawks, got the Browns, got the Buccaneers, you have the 49ers, the Bengals. You get a little break with the Panthers. But then you go right back into it playing the Chargers. They get the Panthers again right after uh, the LA Chargers. Then you get the Bears. You get the Commanders, the Steelers, the Saints, the Ravens, the Cardinals. And then to round out the schedule, they get the Buccaneers again. So, I mean, honestly, like just the last five games, Steelers, Saints, Ravens, Cardinals, Buccaneers. You're getting the Cardinals after DeAndre Hopkins comes back. They're going to be at full power and probably fighting for a playoff spot. So they're going to be ready to go. Um, you know, and then besides that, you got the Steelers, the who are going to be, you know, trying to establish and get back into that playoff hunt themselves. You have the Ravens with Lamar Jackson and Lamar Jackson, the monster and a half. Oh, that game's on. Uh, Christmas Eve, that's pretty cool. Um, and then, yeah, you're rounding out the season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like, it it doesn't look good for the Falcons. So, uh, of those games, I have them winning. And this kind of is just depending on what happens. So, I have them winning week three at the Seahawks. Depending on week four with the Browns, Depending on what happens to Deshaun Watson, I could see them getting a dub. Um, just because I, I think sometimes Baker can kind of like lose games that he shouldn't. He shouldn't lose against the Falcons, but he could. Um, then they play the Buccaneers. That's an L. 49ers, probably an L. The Bengals, probably an 
Oh, the Panthers. The Panthers is going to be a good game between two bad teams. So it's really a coin toss between who you believe in more. Um, at this time, at this point, I believe in Marcus Mariota more. Um, so I'm going to give the Falcons the win when they play the Panthers at home. But I'll give the Panthers the win when they play the Falcons, you know, in Carolina. Um, so right now, what, we got them winning – Possibly two games, maybe three, depending on the Browns. Um, then they're playing the Chargers. That's an L. The Bears, they could beat, depending on uh, if Justin Fields takes any strides. Um, the Commanders, I think the Commanders could probably pull that one out. Um, then you have the Steelers, the Saints, the Ravens, the Cardinals, and the Bucks again. And I have them losing all of those games. So... I don't think they beat Tampa Bay at home or away. I don't think they beat the Saints at home or away. I think they are one and one with Carolina. And then, yeah, besides like the Seahawks and maybe the Browns, I don't have them winning any other games at all. Maybe, maybe the Bears. You know, it's, it's all depending on – because the Bears are a big question mark team because of Justin Fields. And kind of the stuff they got going on. So that's kind of tough. But, uh, yeah, ultimately I just don't see the Falcons winning very many games this year. Um, I think they'll probably end up with a top five pick. Um, for sure top ten pick next year um, to obviously add to that roster and maybe get a quarterback um, involved depending on what they see with Marcus Mario and Desmond Ritter. Um, and, yeah, I mean – Besides that, the only real questions that I have about this team is um, how bad are they going to miss Calvin Ridley uh, from being suspended? And um, can Drake London um, get up and start playing right away? Um, those are going to, I think those will be two of the big determining factors of the Falcon season this year. And yeah, I'm just ready to see, uh, to see kind of what this team looks like. I think there's a lot of unanswered questions, um, you know, like Marcus Mariota, if Cordell Patterson can repeat and have a good year uh, like he did last year, if Grady Jarrett could come back to his all-pro level, if A.J. Terrell could keep, um, you know, the arrow facing or trending upwards with him, um, then, yeah, I mean, I think the Falcons will have a relatively decent defense, um, and I, I think they're going to have, you know, a bottom-half offense. But, um yeah, Ryan, what do you think? What, uh, how do you feel about the Falcons this year? Yeah, I, the Falcons are an interesting team because, like you said, they've got some talent there. They've got some young talent, um, people that need to develop and uh, just get better, like A.J. Terrell um, has already developed and is one of the best corners in the league and uh, can still get uh, even better. So um, while they're in a kind of, you know, transition stage, um you know, I think you're mostly just focusing on developing the players you have and starting to build a uh, another roster to compete once you find that long-term answer at quarterback. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it's Mariota. Like, maybe dude just comes out on fire. Um, and, I mean, like you said, as well as the uh, receiving core, I think hand-in-hand, hand, the biggest determiner of where the Falcons are going to go this year is going to be the quarterback um, and what Mariota is going to do. And, um, yeah, hopefully they don't put Ritter out there. Hopefully Mariota's just good enough and they just ride him the season and um, we'll just have to see what happens. But um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. Um, as you read out that schedule um, probably adds up to 
four, five-ish wins. Yeah, and I would say like, yeah, I would say four or five wins, just depending on how it goes. Like, the Seahawks could beat them, right? Uh, like, the Bears could beat them. They could beat the Bears. They could beat the Seahawks. They could beat the Panthers twice. Um, you know, maybe like, and like you said, if Mariota just comes out on fucking fire, then there's a few more wins that I could see them getting. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I don't know. It is just going to be a very interesting time with um, with the Atlanta Falcons. I honestly kind of feel bad for their for their fans because I feel like the Falcons get out of like being super shitty for a, a few years, and they're like either a consistent playoff team for like four years, and then right back down to being shitty. You know, so, and I mean, it's sucked for Matt Ryan too, because he was part of the good years, part of the bad years. Now he's part of hopefully a good year with the Colts going forward. But yeah, I mean, we'll just have to see how it plays out for the Dirty Birds. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, you know, it's never super fun when you're in those uh, like transitionary stages, like uh, pretty much as the Broncos have been these last few years. And building a roster without a quarterback and you kind of know you're not going to go anywhere. Um, but I'm sure it like, well, I guess it's kind of more similar to um, almost like uh, when Peyton Manning left us because you're used to having that quality quarterback and now it's taken away from you. Um, so like you said, they're used to being perennially, if not a playoff team, at least in the conversation to be a playoff team um, when you don't have Tom Brady in your division, at least certainly helps. Um, but yeah, now, uh, it's, uh, back down in the dumps and hopefully Mariota, you know, makes us eat our words and they come out on fire. And, um, I mean, there's a world where, uh, I think we, we kind of went over this at some point, but, uh, I feel like there's a world where Jameis craps the bed, you know what I mean? And the saints really struggle and Mariota comes out on fire and he's used his, uh, couple years as a backup to learn and, um, is a much better quarterback now. Like it, it's possible, and I could see them maybe even, um, you know, making a, a push for second place in the division, and then maybe a playoff spot from there. So who knows for this Falcons team? But um, yeah, even if nothing does happen uh, this year, you've got some young talent to look forward to, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, let me ask you this. Are you ready to break down the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Dude, I'm so ready. This this is Thank actually – this, this has been a fun team. Um, you know, I mean, like, I think it's interesting to look at those teams that aren't necessarily super um, talent-rich because you can see a lot of times – you can see the vision of, like, where they're going to go and you see, like, the young talent and, like, what kind of team they're trying to form – um, but then there, it's also fun to see these fully complete teams, uh, or well, not fully complete, but mostly complete teams, um, and contending teams and, um, you know, see the, almost the end point of a vision, uh, in terms of the roster. So, uh, yeah, let's jump right into it. Last year, the Buccaneers went 13 and four, uh, obviously went deep in the playoffs, uh, Rams ended up making it and representing the NFC there, um, and then their general manager, Jason Licht, uh, I, I think that he's had, uh, you know, uh, as most uh, our fans do with most GMs, they have their gripes with him. Um, and he's made some iffy picks. 
uh, definitely missed on some players. Um, but, you know, you luck into Tom Brady, uh, you convince him to come to Tampa Bay, uh, and you already have drafted and put together a pretty decent roster. Um, and then you surround him with the talent he needs, get him a Super Bowl. Um, couldn't make it last year, but uh, this team's right there um, knocking on the door and uh, is definitely a contending team. Um, so you can't be too mad about Jason Licht and his uh, uh, tenure so far as a general manager for the Bucs. Um, head coach, Todd Bowles. Um, and yeah, I mean, so this offseason, uh, you know, obviously Bruce Arians retires, steps away from the game or retires from being a head coach, at least steps away from the game uh, and then is now serving as a senior football consultant for the Buccaneers uh, and leaves the head coaching position to Todd Bowles uh, in a second time head coach, formerly of the New York Jets. Um, and I, I would like to hear your thoughts on this, Enrique. And I, I like Todd Bowles. I'm a Todd Bowles fan. I feel like he's a player's coach and I feel like he's also uh, excellent X's and O's wise, at least defensively. Um, he's a good coach. Um, and he uh, I, I'm excited for him to get his second opportunity here. I think that um, with a different situation, you have a, obviously the goat quarterback um, having that helps and uh, he can probably run the offense on his own. You know what I mean? Um, and so for Todd Bowles, I think really, you know, he just needs to focus on uh, getting used to being in the head coaching position and that extra responsibility um, and let Tom Brady take care of the offense and then do his thing on defense. Um, and hopefully uh, I'm, I really don't feel like, like, as you can look at it on paper and say it's a new head coach. So you're going to have that stage where the team is still trying to figure it out. But I think with Bruce Arian sitting in the background guiding along and, um, with Todd Bowles already being in that system as the defensive coordinator under Bruce Arians, I really don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of uh, shifting and uh, change with this team initially. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And um, as far as my opinion on Todd Bowles, um, yeah, I love him as a head coach. I think he's going to do great um, with the Buccaneers. And it, kind of in a similar way that I talk about the Jets and Sam Darnold, we didn't help out Todd Bowles either. Like mm -hmm. he had a shitty GM. Um, he had, he had a pretty good defense, uh, his time there with the jets. Um, and even more so he was able to use the players that he had very, very well. So, you know, for whatever people want to say about Todd Bowles' tenure with the jets, I will always remember it as I felt like the jets let him down, not necessarily mm -hmm. him letting us down. So honestly, I would have loved to have Todd Bowles. Um, I would have loved to keep Todd Bowles as my head coach. Um, obviously, I love my head coach now. I would never, ever trade Robert Sala for anybody ever. Uh, but I do think that the Buccaneers uh, got a good one in Todd Bowles. And if you're the Buccaneers, you really lucked out because you're going from Hall of Famer Bruce Arians to a very, very good, experienced uh head coach or now head coach uh in Todd Bowles so I'm um, I'm two thumbs up on Todd Bowles getting the job again um and even more so love seeing a a, a you know a very deserving uh minority candidate get a head coaching uh job in the NFL so love to see love to see it love to see Todd Bowles doing good and I hope he has a good year with the Buccaneers 
Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, Todd Bowles, yeah, I mean, so far he's proven, I think, that like his players play for him. Um, he, uh, like I said, he's a player's coach, you know, uh, he very like, uh, you know, convincing and uh, able to get the players to buy in. And I think that's such an important aspect uh, when you talk about being a head coach as opposed to like a defensive coordinator, because it's one thing to have the X's and O's aspect of it and be a very proficient uh, play caller and um, be able to take care of the one side of the ball. But at the end of the day, as a head coach, you have to do that and install that on top of um, being the leader of men and on top of, uh, uh, you know, just being that guy. And I totally think Todd Bowles has that um, as well as the X's and O's in his catalog. And so, um, yeah, like I said, that combined with the fact that he's already had a tenure as head coach, uh, even as turbulent as it was with the Jets. Um, I think that that first, you know, year or two as a head coach and just getting used to the job and understanding like um, all the extra responsibility and then figuring out like time management in the game and things like that. Just those random little aspects that can really tear you down as a coach if you don't focus on them. Um, I think that like that's so valuable to have. So uh, I, I would view this situation a little bit differently if Todd Bowles was a, a first time head coach. Um just like coming in here, but he's had that experience. Um, so I am excited to see what he can do with the Bucks, just like you said. Um, and then, yeah, with that, uh, we can go ahead and move on to uh, some of the key departures off of this roster in this offseason, uh, kind of a lot of them, to be honest with you. So starting with JPP, Jason, uh, Pierre Paul, been a solid force for them off the edge the last few years and part of that Super Bowl run, uh, really stepped up in the playoffs and um, yeah, he is now gone. Ndamukin Sue, who we talked about a little bit uh, earlier, um, and they brought in Akeem Hicks to alleviate that. Um, Rob Gronkowski is still undecided on whether he's going to come back. I kind of like it, it. I could still see Gronk coming back because I think it's a very Gronk thing to wait until like training camp's over and then just show up like a week before week one in shape. And ready to go. You know what I mean? Like I can yeah. totally see Gronk doing something like that. Um, but if not, I mean, it's getting to the point in the offseason where like I could see him just like I, I was almost thinking, you know, maybe um, initially when Tom Brady retired, he was like pretty content with retiring with Tom. And once he got into retirement and like again for the second time, just found that happy place. And like, you know, if that ends up being – uh, what happens with him? Good for him. Um, I think, you know, the uh, Buccaneers uh, then would have a, a hole to fill, certainly, um, without the Hall of Fame. And he's not, you know, 100% Gronk anymore, but he's still been a solid presence for them, uh, at least receiving-wise, um, with Tom Brady. And, uh, you know, you can't erase that connection that those two have out on the field. So, um, yeah, we'll just have to see what happens with him. Um, so that's a maybe he might be gone. He might be not uh, a big one here. Ali Marbet, uh, their longtime guard, left guard, um, finally retiring as well. And then OJ Howard, their tight end as well. So uh, really depleted in that tight end room. Ronald Jones, the second running back. Alex Kappa, their starting right guard. Uh, Jordan Whitehead, starting safety. Richard Sherman, uh, who played a little bit for them 
they signed him and he got like injured like immediately after getting signed. And then I think he came know, back right? later in the season. Yeah, it kind of sucked, but um, I think he came back later in the season and played a little bit for them. And then uh, Pierre Desir, uh, Kevin Minter, and Steve McClendon. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of, you know, starters and then decent depth. Uh, definitely leaving the, the Buccaneers this offseason. Um, but with that, we can go ahead and take a look at ro- their roster and uh, see where they filled up some of those holes. Uh, so starting with the quarterback, we have Tom fucking Brady, uh, the GOAT. Um, the GOAT. Yeah, I mean, not a whole lot else to say on that one. Uh, nope. Behind him, Blaine Gabbert, and then Kyle Trask and Ryan Griffin. And at running back, uh, Leonard Fournette, uh, finding a resurgence in his career after uh, I feel like we kind of thought that like he wasn't even going to be in the league anymore. And then he just resurged with the uh, Bucks and has been part of their run there and uh, has a ring now. And uh, yeah, good for him. Giovanni Bernard behind him. Uh, Rashad White their third round draft pick. Um, I like this guy. He's a smaller guy, shiftier guy. He's going to be probably mostly a uh, like receiving back um, and like elusive type back, uh, like outside runner. Um, it, he didn't in college seem to do too well between the tackles. Um, but I think when you look at the running back room, you got Leonard Fournette, Giovanni Bernard. Uh, Giovanni Bernard, certainly a smaller guy, but he has a little bit of inside running skill. Um, and then Leonard Fournette certainly has that inside taken care of. So if you kind of nice to get you a pretty much dedicated receiving back um, that you could probably even put out wide. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do. I, you think about, um, Oh my gosh, same last name white uh, on the Patriots with Tom Brady, the running back, Hello, James. Uh, James white. Thank James you. White. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He Tom Brady uh, throughout his career, he's loved those uh, receiving backs and, uh, has utilized them uh, very heavily. So uh, I would look forward to Rashad White finding a similar role. Um, and then Keyshawn Vaughn behind him and Ken John Barner uh, in the tight end room after you lose uh, O.J. Howard and potentially Rob Gronkowski. Uh, you do have Cameron Brait, who is a solid upcoming uh, talent. And then in the fourth round, they drafted Cade Otten. Um, and yeah, I mean, solid guy. I, he has promising tape like receiving wise um and he's also a really good blocker like almost a day one starter level blocker uh in the nfl in my opinion so like i really do think that k Dotton's going to be able to find his way on the field pretty quickly i don't know how quickly he's going to be like a fully complete threat but i do think that he has the um ceiling to develop into that um so yeah excited to see what he can do with them uh they also drafted in the sixth round co keeft who is going to be mostly a blocking tight end for them, uh, bigger guy, uh, almost just like another offensive tackle out there. Um, and then Cody McElroy behind them and two undrafted free agents in Ben Beast and J.J. Howland. And moving over to the wide receiver room, you have Mike Evans, obviously the big guy, got to love it. Chris Godwin sticking around. Uh, they franchise tagged him, right? Because he hasn't gotten paid yet. If I remember correctly. You're talking about uh, Godwin? Godwin, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, did... I don't think he's gotten paid yet. No, um, I think he just... No, well, hold on. Is it 
I thought he signed a three-year, no? I'm trying to look it up. Oh, they did franchise tag him, unless they paid him after. Well, I knew they franchised him, but I thought he—I thought he signed a three-year after he got franchised. I think yep, this you're right. is the second year. Oh, okay, nice. So he—he is with the Bucks until. Uh, oh wait, no—is that the last one he signed? Well, no, I think. Okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yep, three years till 2026. Cool. Okay, cool. Yeah, so he is with the Bucks. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, so. Your long time, uh, I mean, he he's a number one. Like that, that's the thing with Chris Godwin is like he could be a number one on pretty much like not thirty one other teams, but you know twenty something. Um, like he's a good wide yeah. receiver, and about have him behind Mike uh, Evans for another three years. Uh, that's a win for the Buccaneers uh, for sure. And then behind them, Rashad Perriman, uh, Cyril Grayson, Jalen Darden, and Vincent Smith and a couple undrafted free agents in Cameron Brown and Kalen Geiger. And with your slot wide receiver uh, slot coming over from Atlanta uh, that we just talked about, Russell Gage, um, solid threat. I think he's still developing. He's a younger guy. Um, I, I would be interested to see what Brady can do with him this year. Um, you know, I, I do think he's a little underrated, but uh, and if anybody's going to pull uh, the ceiling out of him, it's probably going to be Tom Brady. So, uh, we will have to see what happens there. Uh, behind Russell Gage, though, Scotty Miller, who's uh, shown some flashes with Brady and uh, probably, I would assume, going to be looking to have a bigger role this year. Um, and then Tyler Johnson behind him and Jareth Stearns is your undrafted free agent. And then looking at that offensive line, you have Donovan Smith uh, behind him, Fred Johnson, Brandon Walton, and Dylan Cook as your undrafted free agent. Uh, you love have, having Donovan Smith and Fred Johnson there, uh, two solid guys. And then uh, at your left guard spot, after you lose Ali Marpet, you have an open competition. Um, so right now you're looking at Aaron Stinney uh, is the incumbent veteran. Um, and then you drafted in the second round uh, Luke Godecki, who, like, I it's an open competition, so it's up to him to win the job. I think he's got traits. Um, I don't know that he's ready to start immediately, but um, I think that he is going to be like, he's a lower athletic um, guy. Like he doesn't have a ton of athleticism, but he's a little bit more refined in terms of technique. Um, and he's a good run blocker plays with a lot of power um, and is working on the pass blocking side of his game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he could start immediately. Uh, if not, I could see him playing, at some point this year um, and probably going to be the starter next year if everything goes well. Um, so yeah, a good pick in my opinion for them. They're uh, just going to be a matter of how long it takes him to get on the field. Um, and then Sidarius Hutcherson and Curtis Blackwell is your undrafted free agent. And at center, they bring back Ryan Jensen, a uh, big keep there. Uh, it would be kind of chaos if you lost all three inside or starting inside offensive linemen. Uh, in the same offseason, and um, Ryan Jensen, uh, really good player, um, and seems to go along well with Brady, and you know Brady's kind of picky about his center sometimes, so um, yeah, good stuff there. Behind him, Robert Hainsey, uh, at right guard, they bring in Shaq Mason from New England, who has been solid but not great in his NFL time, 
Um, and so to be honest with you, that is a little bit of a question to me. I think they have enough structure around him on this line, uh, sandwiching him between Ryan Jensen and Tristan Wirfs that I, I doubt he's going to have too many issues and he's an experienced veteran at this point. Um, but not a top tier option for sure. Um, but behind him, uh, you have Nick Leverett and then John Mulchon. And at right tackle, uh, Tristan Wirfs, the young gun, uh, and then Josh Wells and Jonathan Hubbard. Um, and if I can just stop to say, like, Tristan Wirfs is so impressive. He's so, just so fucking impressive. good. He's so good. He's so good. Did, like, this, did this you see? Second year? Uh, I think it's second or third. Um, yeah. Did Did you see, like, the video floating around of him doing, like, a high jump? And it was something absurdly, like, you know, five or six feet tall. And he's what? an offensive lineman. Yeah, dude. Like, I'm not even kidding you. Like, he's so athletic. It's actually absurd. It's, like, That's terrifying. Crazy. Yeah. I'm going to have to I, check that out. That's I love nice. it. Yeah, I'll have to see if I can find it and I'll send it to you. But um, it was, like, because I remember the video of Miles Mar- Garrett doing it. And that's impressive enough. And then Tristan Wirfs. Uh, doing I don't know if they were the same height but just doing a high high jump and I'm like good god at like you know probably 300 some pounds just stop right stop just being stop. so athletic <laughs> um, but behind him Josh Wells and Jonathan Hubbard I think I already said that um, and then yeah we can move on to the defense and uh, starting from the safeties and moving down uh, free safety you have Antoine Winfield Jr really solid player um, one of the best players on this defense and has developed into that. And uh, I remember him fondly for being the player that put up the peace sign in Tyree Kill's face uh, when the Bucks won uh, against the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Um, huh. So as a Broncos fan, I, I, I am a fan. And then uh, behind him, Mike Edwards, who's been solid in his limited time, Chris Cooper and Nolan Turner, Turner is your undrafted free agent. Uh, at strong safety, they bring in uh, Logan Ryan uh, to replace uh, Jordan Whitehead that left in free agency there. And I honestly, to be honest, like, you might have upgraded, really. I think Jonathan Whitehead is still young and could grow more. But I think right now, Logan Ryan's a better player in my view. Uh, I, I do. But I think Whitehead has a higher, like, overall ceiling. Yeah. And he's actually, he's a New York Jet now, isn't he? Whitehead? Uh, Whitehead? Yeah. Yeah, he is a New York Jet. But, I mean, ultimately, like, that's why I'm okay with saying that, you know, and that's the truth. Logan Ryan is the better player right now. Whitehead is going to develop and could potentially surpass him as a player. Um, And even more so, he's part of a very young secondary altogether. So I'm excited to have him. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do with you guys. And, uh, yeah, like, I agree. Like, I think he has the higher ceiling. Um, but just right now, because he's young. Like, isn't he 25, 26? He's young. Yeah. So, yeah. like, he's got room to grow. And Logan Ryan's just a little bit more of a veteran at this point. I think he's creeping up to 30. Um, but I think for a team that's looking to com- compete, like, right now, that's almost an upgrade for their situation. I think they're paying him more than uh, – well, probably not more than they would have paid Jordan Whitehead, but I think like long term, I still would have paid Whitehead, even if you have to pay him more to keep him. I don't know. 
I would have it, it just depends. But uh, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting situation there. Like you can't really say that the Bucks won or lost on that uh, transaction there. It's just kind of like, yeah. I mean, I guess it's better than straight up like you don't have that player anymore and you didn't replace him. So I'm sure they're happy with Logan Ryan in that sense. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think you broke it down exactly perfect. Um, for what the Buccaneers need, they need guys that are going to play like veterans, not make any mistakes, help them compete. Um, they don't really have time for developmental guys, you know, like, 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 honestly, I thought Tristan Wirfs was going to uh, be a little bit more of a development, but that fool's came out like a fucking monster. So, yeah, they just don't have time for it, man. They just got – Brady's got to win 10 rings, so. Dude, of course. I mean, I would love it if he didn't. That'd be fantastic. Kind of. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I kind of want him to win, like, 15 of them just so, like – it's just such a gaudy number, just so dumb. Like even when you talk about it now, it's like he has seven. He has it's seven just rings. Absurd. Fucking crazy, dude. And yeah, and they just keep piling on. And you're like, when is he gonna stop? And then he like teased everyone and he retires and he's like, psych. psych. Coming back. So yeah, we'll we'll have to see. But yeah, um Tom Brady is probably gonna be on a war path unfortunately and i'm not right. overly happy about it especially as like i was kind of okay with him winning when the broncos just had no chance because i was just like okay whatever like uh, if it's not the ravens then whatever just do your thing tom like sure it's better than like aaron Rodgers or whatever so you know do your thing tom but now that the broncos have like a fighting chance with russell wilson I'm back to not wanting Tom Brady to win. So, you know, that's I don't where know. We're at. Right. I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. That's fair. That's fair. I like him, though. He's, he's so much more likable since he's not on the Patriots. That's very true. That's beyond true. It's like such an understatement, actually. It's dumb. Right. All right. And then, uh, yeah, let's see. So we were on Logan Ryan in the strong safety room. Um, and yeah, I mean, overall solid addition there. Um, if you had to lose Whitehead and uh, potentially could be used at the nickel slot, uh, we'll have to see how they end up uh, doing that out. Uh, you also picked up Keanu Neal from Dallas, uh, formerly from the Falcons as well. Um, and I'm not entirely sure if he's going to be used as a safety or as a linebacker. Um, or as a nickel too. I think he could be one of those guys. I think he's like kind of winding down. So maybe you don't want him out there um, at a nickel or like covering a slot. Um, but uh, at the very least a safety for you. And maybe that's why you have him and let Logan Ryan do his thing uh, down below. And uh, behind them, you have Troy Warner. And then uh, in your cornerback room, you're looking at Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean, both guys from Auburn, shout out. Uh, and then Zion McCollum. <laughs> uh, Zion McCollum, they drafted in the fifth round this year at 157. I really like this guy. Uh, he is like a crazy athlete, like 4'3", 40. Um, yeah, just super athletic. Uh, and he has some developing to do like technique-wise, but he actually was uh, very productive in college. And um, yeah, I'm excited to see him in the NFL and uh, I think in a room that they're not necessarily going to need him to, um, 
be like a number one, number two cornerback immediately. Um, being drafted in the fifth round, he's going to get some time to develop and uh, very high upside with that guy. And then behind them, Ross Cockrell, uh, or Cockrell rather, and then uh, Dee Delaney. And your undrafted free agents are Don Garner and Kyler McMichael. And uh, let's see, at uh, your uh, slot corner slash nickel, you have Sean Murphy Bunting, uh, maybe Logan Ryan, maybe, maybe Keanu Neal, probably Mike Edwards back there. And then maybe even Zion McCollum could find a role uh, early on with that athleticism uh, of his in the slot or in the nickel. Um, I think that would be a fine spot there. Uh, and then moving to inside linebacker, you have Levante David, one of the best in the NFL. Uh, and then Devin White behind him, very solid, uh, very young too, still developing. And Grant Stewart, uh, KJ Britt behind him. And then your undrafted free agents, uh, Ola Kuni uh, Fatukasi, which is the brother of Foley uh, Fatukasi, who's on the Jags and is formerly of the Jets. And we talked about him when we talked about the Jags there. Um, so a little fun fact there. And then fun JJ fact. Russell. Yeah. Uh, and then moving on to the edge room there, Shaquille Barrett, former Bronco, never wanted to let him go, but now he's a star over there with the uh, Buccaneers and love to see it for him. Got that big payday. Um, just doing his thing. I love it. Uh, behind him or uh, maybe to the side of him, Joe Tryon, uh, behind them, Anthony Nelson, uh, Cam Gill, Elijah Ponder, uh, Andre uh, Anthony, who was drafted in the seventh round at number 248. Uh, and then uh, your undrafted free agents are Jordan Young and Jojo Ozogu. And defensive end, uh, moving into this defensive line, who is just like very deep and very good. Uh, so at defensive end, you add Akeem Hicks. Uh, and then you have William Golston as well. Uh, and then Logan Hall drafted in the second round at number 33. Very high upside. Uh, very smart guy. Good dude. I'm excited for him. He was one of the guys that I really liked coming in the draft. Um, may not play immediately, but will probably play pretty quickly. And I think that he's going to get very good very fast, in my opinion. Um, Patrick O'Connor. And then Rakeem Nunez Roches behind them, uh, and uh, Willington and Pavilion. And at nose tackle, Vita Vea, uh, starting off there, solid presence. And then Deidre Senat. Uh, and then you also have Rakeem Nunez Roches again. Uh, he is technically an end, uh, but he has provided uh, nose tackle help in the past with injuries, um, and he has been solid at that spot. Uh, and then uh, he could probably even, to be honest with you, be your second uh, on the depth chart. And then uh, Benning Potoe and Mike Green as an undrafted free agent. Uh, and then with your special teams, your punter is Bradley Pinion. Uh, but in the fourth round at number 133, they drafted a punter uh, named Jake Camarda. Um, and he's from Georgia. And I do think that Camarda, I mean, if you draft a punter at the fourth round, he's going to be starting for you. Like, I think I, that's probably like non-negotiable. Um, and so I think like it's an interesting move. I think they needed a punter because Pinion has not been great for them. So not only are you repa replacing Pinion with a punter who's probably going to be very good for you, uh, but then you're also having him on a rookie contract 
Uh, so you're going to save some money over pinion as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, decent enough move for them. You always question drafting a punter with a fourth round pick, but, uh, by the sounds of it, Camarda is going to be very good. And, um, at Georgia being an Auburn fan, I got some taste of that, but not a lot because, uh, Auburn was not often good enough to like, you know, make them punt to make them punt, you know. Didn't didn't get to see him a whole lot, unfortunately. Um, hey, quick quick question, real quick about the punter. Yeah. Is is Jake? Is he the punter they call the punt god? That was yes, coming he out is. This year? Is god. he really? Yep. Damn, that's tight. Young punt right. god, that's cool. Punt god on the Buccaneers. On the Buccaneers. Uh, yeah, and so yeah, I mean, I expect him to get that starting job almost by default just because of the fact that they used a fourth round pick on a punter, like you're almost Absolutely. legally required to put him on the roster at that point, you know? So could, could get arrested. If you don't could get arrested, if you don't exactly. And they're going to run Jason looked out of town. Um, and then behind or in our kicker spot, you have Ryan Suckup, uh, who's been a perennial decent kicker. Pretty good uh, behind him. Jose Borregales, and then at returner spot, um, I think this is going to kind of figure itself out in camp. But uh, right now, you're probably looking at Jalen Darden, maybe Scotty Miller, but I think he's going to have enough of an offensive presence that uh, they might not uh, want to put him out there that much. Um, but I did think that maybe, 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 unless Zion McCollum is good enough to um, develop a role here in camp and very quickly, that, uh, you know, they need him on defense more so than special teams. I think that he could probably be competing for that returning job. And with the athleticism and speed he has, uh, be kind of interesting to see him back there. So we'll have to see about that. I think, uh, you know, a couple thoughts on this roster overall. Like um, you have, this is a contending roster, obviously, even without Brady. That was kind of the situation he walked into. A lot of good players. They've only gotten better since then, too, um, and just filled up some spots. They do lose a lot this offseason, but they filled most of those spots. I think I have questions at your tight end room. Cameron Braid is decent, um, but he's not like a star. And so you're if uh, Gronkowski does not come back, um, that's a big downgrade from Gronkowski and O.J. Howard to Cameron Braid, and then you're relying on two rookies in Kate Otten uh, and Coquif to be a receiving threat and a blocking threat for you. Um, so that I definitely have a question on that. Um, but I do think that wide receiver wise and running back wise, they have enough talent to kind of offset. Um, you know, I, you have questions about Russell Gage. Is he going to be uh, good immediately? Are they going to have that chemistry there? How good is he going to be? Um, you do have to see with Scotty Miller. But, I mean, it's Tom Brady. I, I'm not really worried about this offense. I think it's probably going to work itself out. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, offensive line-wise, I think, like I said, I have a question with Shaq Mason because um, he's just been okay throughout his time in the league, like decent but not uh, really great anywhere he's been. Um, and so, uh, you know, is that going to be good enough to replace Alex Kappa, who, I mean, not that Alex Kappa is, like, fantastic, but I would say that, Alex Cap is better than Shaq Mason um, and has been more consistent. Sure. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, you're, you're certainly not terribly off at that right guard spot, but um, a question there. And then at left guard, you have that open competition. And I'm not super confident in Aaron Stinney um, if Luke Godecki is not ready immediately. Uh, but I do think, like I said, Godecki has good upside. It's just going to be a matter of how long it takes for him to get on the field. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I mean, looking over that defense, you know, you have a really nice backfield, good safeties, bringing Logan Ryan to replace Whitehead um, as he goes off to the Jets there. Uh, add in Zion McCollum for some depth uh, that's going to develop there. Got the Auburn guys holding it down. Um, you know, I like Levante, David, Devin White in the middle. That defensive line is great. You got good edges. Joe Tryon's only going to get better. He was drafted last year. Uh, wasn't amazing last year, but he's only going to get better. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is a really, really solid roster um, and definitely going to uh, look to contend for sure. Yeah. And so, Enrique, what are your thoughts on this roster? Well, from top to bottom, um, I love. I, I love a lot of guys on the Buccaneers roster. Um, like on the offensive side, Mike Evans has been one of my favorite players since he like when when he was getting when he was catching passes from Johnny Menzel at Texas A&M. He was one of my favorite players. So um, he's been a consistent uh, consistent big body wide receiver. Has yet to miss a thousand yards um, in his career. Um, has always went over a thousand. Um, and he's battled with some injuries during his time too. Um, so that makes it even more impressive. Um, obviously you got, uh, Chris Godwin, who just like you said on 28 other teams, he's probably a number one receiver. Um, the only teams he's probably not are the teams that have a number one receiver. So you have two number ones. Um, they were, I don't know how they were able to keep both those guys, but they definitely did. Um, you got Tom motherfucking Brady, the goat, and I'm I won't sit here and stroke off Tom too much, but um, yeah, I mean he's Tom Brady, so that's really all you have to say. He was literally like three plays away from going to another Super Bowl last year, so just understand that he's still very very dangerous at this point in his career. Um, otherwise, uh, oh, real quick too, their center Ryan Jensen didn't he go to um. What is it? CSU of Pueblo? He did. Uh, he was also a Raven. Oh, so nice. We'd love to see it. Yeah, Colorado connection and then Ravens connection. Uh, like, yep. I'm, I'm a little sad he's not still a Raven, uh, but, you know, found a home. Yeah, here. I mean, no, I agree. I, I think even more so, I think he's, I think he might be from Pueblo, Colorado, which is cool because that's, uh, that's where my mom's from. And that's, I, I lived in Pueblo for, uh, you know, the beginning years of my life as well, um, before we moved back down here to Denver. So, uh, yeah, shout out Pueblo, shout out the dirty P. Um, and then on the defensive side, like Anton Winfield Jr. stud, his dad was a stud. Um, obviously you love the Tyreek Hill meme. Um, and, but honestly, the dude I want to talk about the most is Levante David. Because that dude is yeah. a man of mans. That dude is, like, he's probably one of my so favorite, good. like, top five favorite linebackers. He's so fucking good. Um, yeah, I mean, I just can't say enough about – I can't say enough about Levante David. He's just – he is so, so good. Like, if you want to have, like, the 
the linebacking standard to me is like Levante David, Patrick Willis, and like Luke Keekley and Ray Lewis. So yeah, like Levante David has been so good since he's entered the league. He's been one of my favorite players. Super humble dude, doesn't talk, just works. Finally got a ring. Um, I'm not saying I hope he gets another one, but I wouldn't mind if Levante David got another ring. He definitely deserves it. Leader on that team. Um, he, I mean, he was playing for the Buccaneers when they sucked. So you got to understand that Levante David's been down, and he's been a very, very good player for a very large amount of number of years. I think he's, like, heading into his ninth ninth year or something like that. So Yeah. Yeah. He's a stud, dude. I love Levante David so much. Um, adding Akeem Nix definitely – fills in that Dominican Sue role. Um, I would have loved to see them take a fire on Sue again. Um, yeah. And also, what happened to JPP? Where did he go? I literally don't know. Like, to be honest. Because honestly, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that he left. Uh, I didn't know they left the Buccaneers, which is, I mean, not that I'm like a huge Jason Pierre Paul fan, but I mean, he did get his hand blown off. So I think you he's know, still afraid. I do. Oh, there you go. So, I mean, but he was very serviceable down there. After he left the Giants and uh, he left his fingers in New York. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was – I know that was pretty fucked up. Huh? But um, he uh, he was very serviceable for the Buccaneers. So I'm very interested to see how the new second-round pick does um, on that defensive line. Obviously, Shaquille Barrett's going to be uh, a four still um, on the edge. So – yeah, I mean, all in all, the Buccaneers are still loaded as fuck. So it's kind of hard to um, it's kind of hard not to just go off about their roster because they just really have so many good good players at every level of their roster. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm genuinely surprised JPP is still a uh, free agent because. He's been productive for them the last couple of years and uh, been a solid part, especially in the playoffs. He's shown up. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, he's got that club now as he left his fingers in New York, as you said, and, uh, yeah, fucking, I, I mean, they've got a solid room there with Shaquille Barrett, Joe Tryon, uh, and those guys on the defensive line. Um, and then they add Andre Anthony, uh, and Logan Hall in the draft. And, um, they've certainly, you know, not, um, you know, aching for, uh, more talent there. But I, I, I am surprised, along with Nikon and Ndamukong Sue, that they didn't bring those guys back. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, totally agreed with what you said. and um, It's just a nice roster to look at and hard to uh, not say they're going to be contending this year for sure. Um, and then so the top four storylines for this team, uh, looking at it here, I think number one for me, obviously, Tom Brady retires this offseason and then, what, like less than a month later, comes back from retirement uh, for one more ring, just left a bad taste in his mouth to leave after not getting it this past year. Um, and I think that all the pressure is on the Buccaneers. Uh, you know, as an organization, they're committed to, they have this Hall of Fame quarterback, which has already gotten them one ring, but now has come out of retirement and everything they're doing is centered around him. And so the pressure is on them to produce and uh, get him to that last Super Bowl. Um, and a relatively tough schedule too, as we've talked about in this division, I think when you talk about the Buccaneers and the talented roster, 
because they're viewing it a little bit more from the top down as opposed from the bottom up as most of these other teams that we've been talking about have been even the saints, to be honest with you. Um, because you never know what's going to happen with Jameis. And so depending on what Jameis is, they really could be one of those teams looking from the bottom up, um, even with a solid roster. Um, but it's still a decently hard schedule, uh, even for a very talented team with Tom Brady at the helm. Um, and then at number two, Todd Bowles coming into his second tenure as head coach. We talked about this a little bit. How quickly can he get the team up to full speed? And will his second tenure be better? And I mean, yeah, we, we talked about this and I, I'm a fan of Todd Bowles. I really do think that his second tenure will be better. I think he's gotten a lot of those mistakes out of the way. Um, and I think he's coming in on a team uh, like we talked about. He's already been in the system. He was the defensive coordinator for multiple years. Bruce Arians is there to help guide him and answer questions for him in that advising role. Um, I think he's very much set up for success. Uh, as the head coach of the Buccaneers. Um, and I think that he's going to take it and run with it because uh, I really do think he's a good coach. Um, and I think this is the beginning of a long head coaching career, most likely, um, you know, especially if he wins a Super Bowl. I mean, if you win a Super Bowl, automatically you have like a 10-year um, coaching career, like just bare minimum, because people will hire you just based off the fact that you won a Super Bowl, like even if you're bad, which Todd Bowles is not. You know what I mean? So if they can go win a Super Bowl, like, he's good. Absolutely. He's got it. Um, but, yeah, so we'll have to see how, how quickly that happens. Um, and I, you know, like we've talked about with some other teams, when you talk about the Broncos, um, even the Saints, when you talk about Dennis Allen, who's not been a head coach before, his first-time head coach, even though he's been in the system, or you talk about Nathaniel Hacken, who wasn't in the Broncos system and is bringing his own system, first-time head coach, there is some adjustment time. Um, but I do think that that's going to be minimized with the situation that Todd Bowles has come into. Um, so I don't think that that adjustment time is going to be as much of a factor uh, for the Buccaneers. Um, and then at number three, my storylines here, left guard competi uh, competition after Ali Marpet's retirement, and they're relying on Shaq Mason coming in to fill uh, Alex Kappa's gap after leaving for Cincinnati. Um, yeah, I talked about this a little, bit, uh, a little bit as well, going through that roster. And um, those are definitely questions for me. Uh, we'll have to see how left guard pans out. You got that rookie. And then um, Shaq Mason, you know, hopefully between uh, Ryan Jensen and uh, Tristan Wirfs is going to be able to uh, deliver what he needs to um, for this to be a solid line uh, to protect Tom Brady, who, I mean, if you're not getting uh, good protection, it's kind of hard for a quarterback like Tom Brady to win at this point in the league. You know what I mean? So, um, but I think that you have those tackle positions shored up and that's the most important thing in the center position. Um, and then at number four, you have a very good starting to uh, 22, mostly outside of like those guard spots that I was talking about. And then like tight end, I would say. Um, and then, but this roster is thin at some of uh, like in its depth at some of the positions. So I could th see this being a situation where uh, if they wake up on the wrong side of the bed and unfortunately have one of those types of seasons where some key players get injured, um, you could really see this team get brought down. You look at the wide receivers, even with Tom Brady, if you lose a, uh, you know, Mike Evans or uh, lose a, uh, any of those guys, Chris Godwin, like, 
that's a huge loss. You were moving on to Brashad Perriman, Russell Gage, Cyril Grayson, like as your one or two options. You know what I mean? Scotty Miller. Like even for Tom Scotty Brady, Miller. Scotty, Scotty Miller. Even for Tom Brady, it's a little bit of a stretch. You know what I mean? So and that's just the wide receiver position. Um, there's a few positions like that where you look at the depth and you're just like, oh, like if, if things go wrong, that could be a spot where this team uh, comes apart of the seams. Um, but, you know, hopefully that doesn't happen. We never want injuries. Um, unfortunately, that's kind of the nature of the game, but we'll just have to see what happens. And uh, so yeah, uh, we, did you have any thoughts on these questions, Enrique? Yeah, I was just literally going to say, um, mainly, I think the weakest roster or like the weakest depth spot they have is corner. Like, yeah, if you, they got like if two you lose, guys. yeah, if you lose either of those, like, if you lose Carlton Davis, you're fucked. Yeah. You're fucked, fucked. So, um, yeah, I was just, well, the minute you said that, I was like going through. And I was like, let me see, let me see, let me see. Like, and yeah, I think corner, it looks real bad if anyone gets hurt for the Buccaneers. Like, yeah. it, it looks, it, honestly, the team looks almost different if you take away a few of those. And I get it, you can't pay everybody, but yeah, it's a, it's a very surface level team to say the least. Yeah. And I mean, you just hope it doesn't turn into one of those like Chargers esque situations. Uh, you think about, um, you know, I think 2018 was the year they went 12 and four. I want to say 2019 was one of those years where they had the roster um, and Philip Rivers was still pretty decent um, or it might've been 2017. It was right around like on either side of that 2018 season, they had the roster, but just, there was just injuries galore and it was absolutely brutal. Um, and just destroyed that team because they had stars across the starting spots, but their depth was not very good. Um, and so once you have a few of those star injuries, I really, really, really sets you back. Um, and uh, yeah, like you said, with that cornerback position, all important in this league with the, uh, you know, wide receivers that are better than ever quarterbacks that are better than ever um, lose any one of those guys, I mean, it, like, y- you're immediately starting a rookie in Zion McCollum, right? And then Ross, behind him, Ross Cockrell, D. Delaney, like, that's not good. <laughs> you're, you're really not struggling good. at that point. You might even have to put a safety out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's one of those things where it's like, it's not necessarily an issue right now, but it could be depending on how the season goes. So, um, but yeah, I mean, speaking of, of how the season goes, uh, we can go ahead and run through their schedule here um, and then see, see about a prediction. So week one at the Dallas Cowboys, Sunday night football. Um, I view this as a win, but this could be a potential loss. Uh, you go back to uh, the second question there with Todd Bowles. Um, and how quickly he's going to get this team up to speed if there is an adjusting period and they don't come out of the gates blazing. Uh, I do think that this Dallas Cowboys team who uh, retained their coaching staff, even though uh, their coordinators got interviewed for jobs, both of them returned. Um, and so uh, they're, you know, same guys coming together, same head coach, 
Uh, I think there's a hungry team with a lot of talent on it that has not gotten where they wanted to the last few years. Um, and they've added even more talent. Um, so they may come out of the gates blazing if the Buccaneers don't, and that could be uh, an upset loss there for the Buccaneers. Um, and then week two at the New Orleans Saints, uh, I do think that this is, could be a uh, loss, but as we talked about last year, potentially the Buccaneers take this one, uh, depending on Jameis Winston, how well he's playing, uh, and then Dennis Allen and that adjustment period with him as the first-time head coach of the New Orleans Saints. Um, we're just going to have to see where the momentum is there. Uh, obviously, you're in New Orleans, so the Saints have the advantage uh, on that aspect of it. But uh, if the Buccaneers are playing well and the Saints are not, uh, that's definitely a win for the Bucs there. And then week three, you are versus the Green Bay Packers at home. Uh, I have that as a win, but that could go either way. Week four versus the Kansas City Chiefs at home. I have that as a win as well. Week five versus the Atlanta Falcons at home, a win. Week six at Pittsburgh Steelers, a win. Week seven at Carolina Panthers, a win. And then week eight uh, versus the Baltimore Ravens at home. This is a Thursday game. I have that as a loss. Obviously, those Thursday games really tough. Uh, coming off Carolina Panthers game that they're expected to win, um, but they do travel to Carolina, um, and then they have to come back on a short schedule and face a tough Baltimore Ravens team who, if they're not injured, look to be uh, contending in the AFC as well. Um, so tough game there. And then right after that, you turn around at week nine, you are versus the Los Angeles Rams defending Super Bowl champions at home. Uh, I have this as a W, but that could go either way. And that's a really tough one coming off of that week eight Thursday game there. Uh, and then right after that, they have to go travel to Germany to uh, play the first Jesus. NFL game there. Yeah. Uh, versus the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, which I do expect them to win. That's a tough stretch, but they're uh, such a better team than the Seattle Seahawks, especially quarterback-wise, that um, I don't think there's a way that they drop that. Um, and then finally, they get a bye week after all that uh, in week 11. And week 12, you are at Cleveland Browns, so they get a week to Damn. prepare. I do have this as a loss because that's a tough venue. You're starting to get to the end of the, uh, the season, so a little bit colder weather. Um, I think that could go either way, especially with that extra week of preparation and that bye week, um, but certainly a tough place to play. Um, and then week 13 uh, versus New Orleans Saints at home, a win. Week 14 at San Francisco, a win. Uh, week 15 versus the Cincinnati Bengals, I have that as a win as well, um, but that could go either way. And then week 16 at Arizona Cardinals, uh, have that as a win. Um, I guess that could go either way, but I, I think the Bucs are better than the Cardinals, to be honest with you. Um, in week 17 versus the Carolina Panthers, a win there. And finishing off with the Atlanta Falcons in Atlanta, uh, have that as a win. So for my prediction, um, I do uh, have them at 14 and three. So one game better than last year uh, at 13 and four. Um, and I think it could range anywhere from 12 and five to 15 and two, just depending on, uh, how it goes, you know what I mean? Uh, depending on how, uh, you know, some of my thoughts on the schedule and some of those stretches, you have uh, that brutal first four game stretch, uh, when you're looking at Dallas Cowboys Sunday night football, that team that is going to be hungry, wanting to get a win, uh, wanting to start the season off well. 
uh, week two, you are in New Orleans for the Saints, who uh, hopefully are, uh, you know, like hope to be uh, in the conversation as well. Um, and that, as I talked about in the Saints breakdown, that's a huge, huge game for them. If you're looking to even have a chance of uh, sneaking in the playoffs and have a chance of contending in the division, you have to win your home game against the Buccaneers. Um, and unlucky for them that it's in week two. I think that's advantageous for the Bucs, but uh, certainly a, a tough uh, week two matchup there. And then you have the Packers in week three and Kansas City Chiefs both at home in three and four. So tough stretch just to open up the season there. Um, and then my second thought here, week seven through 10, uh, you know, facing the Super Bowl champs, sandwiched between a Thursday game uh, against the Ravens and then a trip to Germany, uh, but they do get that bye week right afterwards. So, yeah, that's a tough stretch right there um, with that short week on Thursday, turn around and face the, uh, you know, uh, defending Super Bowl champions um, and then go to Germany. And uh, I, I I do almost wonder, like, if some of the players might get caught up in, like, uh, you know, the thought of going to Germany for the first ever NFL game and get distracted and um, – kind of blow that uh like i i do think that, that could be a game that they blow is the los angeles uh, rams game in week nine um just because of the fact that they're in between two kind of tough high profile games um so yeah and then uh my third thought here the uh i think the bucks lucked out on the way that the home and away games were distributed on their schedule um most of their hard games are at home. And I think obviously you have the uh, advantage when you're at home. Uh, you know, the Buccaneers have historically been a, a team that plays well at home, uh, generally speaking. And um, yeah, I mean, so you're looking at when you look at your away matchups, right? You have Dallas Cowboys, New Orleans Saints. So two tougher ones there. But then you have Pittsburgh Steelers, Carolina Panthers. Cleveland Browns is another tough one. And then the 49ers who are probably going to be in, eh, like they do have a talented roster, but that quarterback is a question and it's, we're just going to have to see. So maybe a good game, but eh. And then you have the Cardinals and Falcons and your home games. You're looking at Packers, Chiefs, Atlanta Falcons, Baltimore Ravens, Los Angeles Rams, uh, New Orleans Saints, Cincinnati Bengals, and Carolina Panthers is a little break there. Like that's a that's a tough home schedule, but I would rather have those tough games at home, like personally, and then have the the easier quotations games away, um, in hopes that you can pump up that uh, away wins uh, on your overall record there, and um, hopefully take you know have the advantage in some of those home games. Um, and still keep a decent record there. Um, so I do think that that's advantageous. Uh, and so what are your thoughts on the schedule, Enrique? Well, I, to be honest with you, I feel, I feel like this was the, like, Tom Brady going away schedule. Because it's a tough schedule. It, but it, it is a tough schedule. There's no doubt about it. They have one of the hardest schedules um, of anyone in the league. But... These are all games I want to see Tom Brady playing. These are yeah. all games I want to see Tom Brady playing. Like, yes, give me the Cowboys Sunday night football. Give me that shit. Like, give me that. Give me 
give me the battle in the with the Saints twice a year. Give me the, him versus Aaron Rodgers. Give me him versus Patrick Mahomes. Give me him between Lamar Jackson, Matthew Stafford, potentially Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, Kyler don't leave, Murray. Don't leave out Kenny Pickett. Are you talking about – you're not talking about small hands Kenny Pickett. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just fucking with you. If, uh, if, if, if Kenny Pickett gets some gloves that fit him that night, he might uh, – he might come out with a dub. Getting exercise um, bigger. I'm just saying. Um, and then, like, the first game in Germany, you're going to send Tom Brady over there. Like, the face of the franchise, or the face of the shield, the seven-time Super Bowl winner, like, probably the most popular player in Germany. Like, if anyone is going to know anyone in Germany, they're going to know Tom Brady. Um, so that's kind of cool. Like... But Tom does have to play the goat, Drew Locke, in that game. So it's true. Um, it's true. It's gonna be tough matchup. It's gonna be tough. Tough matchup. Um, but otherwise, I mean, so the one question I have for you is the Browns, the Browns game. Is that with you have them losing to Baker or you have them losing to Deshaun? Well, I think it. I mean, it depends on how long he gets uh, suspended. I mean, I think I've seen some people say like somewhere between six and eight weeks. And then I've seen some people say even maybe even the full season. So, um, but I think I envision that either way, to be honest with you. Um, I think that the Cleveland Browns, like, uh, I don't know because I, well, okay. Let me preface by saying I'm a Baker believer. And so if Baker's like playing well with Browns and he's not injured and he's not being I don't, I don't want to say forced to play while he's injured because Baker chose to play and Baker's like a stubborn ass. And that's probably why he played injured. But like so many people are so down on Baker Mayfield because of how he played last year. And he was playing with like half of his shoulder falling off and then a bunch of leg injuries. And like, I think a foot injury too. Like he was like broken, bro. Um, so I, I, I really think people are underrating Number one, the Browns have like one of the best and most complete rosters just in the league, period. Um, right. And like, I think people are underrating Baker when he's healthy. Um, so I do think they could be at least can be a, a competitive game if Baker's in. If it's Deshaun Watson, I do think that that team with Deshaun Watson and how, um, you know, complete it really is for the most part, um, I think it's possible. Like, I, I think it's very, very possible that they take them at home, too, at the dog pound, very hard uh, place to play. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, you're coming off the bye week for the Buccaneers, so they have that week to prepare uh, coming off that tough stretch. Um, but I don't know. And I think that, like, when I, you know, I did put um, ranges anywhere from 12-5 and five to 15-2. and two. I think, like, that's one of those games along with, like you talk about both of the Saints games, you talk about that away Cardinals game, you talk about like that uh, Thursday Baltimore Ravens game, that Rams game. There's a few games, like even I would say like the Packers and Chiefs at home. There's a few games where those could be either wins or losses. Um, and I definitely think that the Cleveland Browns falls into that territory. Um, but I think that I was more keen to put that as a loss because they're at the dog pound later in the year. 
probably going to have Deshaun Watson. Um, but I think the Cleveland Browns are gearing up for, uh, like, you know, heck of a run coming up. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm Baker too. I just my whole thing is is Baker going to be able to duel with Tom? And that's that's the only question I have. I just if it comes down is to Baker it, gonna, yeah. Well, and that's what I'm saying. That's you know, I think like like I think the Packers and the Chiefs game are going to be you know like fucking eight hundred yards. 1,200 yards total, like, it's going to be dumb. The offense is going to be ridiculous. It always is. But, you know, I think that, okay, I I guess I see it more after after asking you about it. I do see how the Browns could beat them. And then even more so, like, they are coming off that really hard stretch there. The Ravens and then the short week from the Ravens to the Champs. And then from the Champs to – fly over to Germany, you get your bye, but then you have to play at Cleveland after your bye. So, yeah, I, I, I do see that it, like, has the recipe of the Browns playing spoiler. Um, but, yeah, I think if it's Baker and he has to duel with Tom, I think I think Tom probably wins that. I think if forward – because, I mean, honestly, the Jets almost beat the Buccaneers last year. Like, we were, like, literally a play away from beating them. So right. – Oh, that's all I got to say. And, I mean, I think at that point, that almost defends your choice of them losing to the Browns. So, yeah, I mean, I see it. I, I don't I don't see the guaranteed win. When I saw the L on the schedule, I was like, I don't know about that, Ryan. I don't know. I'm about to ask <laughs> you about that. But then after going through it and thinking about it and talking to you, I'm like, how? I mean, Baker is a dude. Like, Baker is a dude. When Baker Mayfield like is on, motherfucker is on. So it's the first overall pick for a reason. Just saying. Even when he's um you know being forced to uh stay on the roster. I, I think that's the only thing is like if I was Baker Mayfield, if you motherfuckers had me go play, I would be No, well, that's you don't want to ever put bad film out, right? Because you still want to go get a starting job, but I would be fucking over the Browns as much as I could. I'd yeah, probably right. call out that day. Right. Yeah, no, I was kind of thinking about the same thing. Is, is like you would want to get back at them, but at the same time, I feel like as a competitor, it would almost be more likely that they take it as like, okay, I'll show you. You know what I mean? I'll show you. And I, I could see him, even though he's essentially being held hostage, if he is given an opportunity at some point because of uh, Deshaun Watson getting suspended or whatever it is, um, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I do think that uh, he's going to come out with a vengeance and uh, play well. I, I, I'm definitely a, a believer uh, in Baker Mayfield. So, but yeah, I, I don't think it's a guaranteed win or anywhere near it if Baker is the starter. Um, and I do think it's a closer competition with Deshaun and, Honestly, uh, you know, while Deshaun was still playing with Houston Texans, some of his best games were duels against Tom Brady. Um, that's been a theme in the past. And he was dueling against him on the Texans with not a whole lot to work with um, outside of, you know, Hopkins and uh, obviously J.J. Watt doing his thing. But, you know, we all know how the Texans have been um, like fully roster wise 
during his tenure there. And uh, he dragged him to some wins and some of those wins he dragged him to, or at least competitive games he dragged him to uh, were some fun duels with uh, Tom Brady. So yeah, definitely looking forward to that game. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of a few on the schedule where I could see it flipping either way, depending on some conditions. And um, I, I especially think that those first four games are going to be pretty volatile. Like I have, like you mentioned, uh, with the Packers and the Chiefs, I have both of those as wins. But I think if there's if there's any like two games, I would pick on the schedule as games that like I could very much see the outcome that I picked being uh, the opposite. It's those two, because you never know on a given day with Aaron Rodgers or uh, Patrick Mahomes. And granted, you never know on a, a given day with Tom Brady. But um, yeah, even at home, those are really tough games to play. So. Um, yeah, I mean, tough schedule for uh, the Buccaneers, obviously. Tough schedule for the NFC South as a whole. Uh, but I think overall, uh, they got some breaks. Um, they have some stretches where uh, in the season where, like, they have some easy games. And, um, yeah, I mean, as long as, you know, they do what they need to, which you can pretty much rely on with the Tom Brady team, generally speaking, um, and then they uh, squeak out some of those big games, um, you know, the only way that they're losing this division is if the saints perform well and Jameis is having a good season and they get 10 plus wins. So as long as you can get 10 or more wins, I think it's pretty much a a safe bet that the Buccaneers are going to take the division here. Um, and at least can uh, like put themselves in the conversation, uh, in the playoffs. And uh, as long as you get in the playoffs, uh, you got a chance, especially if you have Tom Brady on your team. Um, and a very talented roster. So, um, yeah, I mean, this was a fun team to break down. Um, we're just going to have to see uh, what they can do coming into the season here and if they're going to be one of the teams that uh, is in there at the end of it, which I very much think that they probably will be. So um, Tom Brady versus Russell Wilson for the Super Bowl. Uh, love to see Whoa. It. Whoa, 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 whoa. I think – you heard I'm going to say, like, I think Zach Wilson might have something to say about that. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. All right. Russell Wilson and or Zach Wilson versus Tom Brady for the Super Bowl. I'll just say, how about an AFC championship between the Jets and the Broncos? Yeah. Be- best man wins. Right. As long as, as long as it's one of our Wilsons. In the Super Bowl this year. That's all that matters. Exactly. Or we can morph them together and by the Wilsons combined, maybe they have enough power to beat Tom Brady. Would, he, would they be Wilson Wilson or would they be Russell Zach? Or Zach Russell? Zach Russell. Maybe Zach Russell like Wilson Wilson. Or you can do like two L's, just like Wilson. Oh, yeah. I guess that's true. Wilson. Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay, with that, uh, I guess we can go ahead and move off of the Bucks and move over to the NBA and the NBA Finals. Uh, started earlier this week, uh, Boston Celtics versus the Golden State Warriors. Um, you know, so far, uh, the Celtics won game one. Uh, it was a very interesting game. Game two coming up uh, today, actually, Saturday, uh, June 4th. And um, yeah, so game one, a few things to go over. Uh, fourth quarter com- uh, comeback for the Celtics. 
stunning the Warriors. Um, they played from behind most of the game. Uh, some notes here on the Celtics. Al Horford having a 26-point game. He was money God from damn. three. I know, I know. Money from three, and he was good defensively, uh, really helped uh, with the Warriors and uh, was able to cover some of those guards for him uh, as well as bigger guys. And, um, yeah, Al, for, Al Horford playing out of his mind, dude. The old wants man that ring, there. son. I know, he wants, wants it ring, so bad. Um, yeah, I mean, love to see it. But, like, like I said, every single time I see it, I'm like, I know he was a planted – you know, spy or whatever on the 76ers. Like he, like he got, they traded him to us just so that he could like just stink it up so bad. Cause the Celtics hate the 76ers that much. And then he found his way back to the Celtics and he's like, cool. I'll just be good again now. Right. Let's go. Fucking, what did, what did we say about him the last time? Fucking grandpa Joe from, um, <laughs> from fucking, what is that movie called? God damn it. Charlie and chocolate factory. Oh yes, yeah. He's just sitting on his butt on the the bed for twenty years, not working, and he gets up and he's Man. like, "It's time to go. It's the playoffs." It's, yep, exactly. Like, what? We're on the Celtics again, and yeah, we can get a ring. Yeah, playing, playing. He got, um, I think it was six uh, three pointers, which was a, a career record for him, just in general. But as in the uh, yeah. NBA Finals. 26-point uh, game. You love to see it for him. And then Derek White showing up with the 20-point game as well, uh, hitting a lot of important shots. He wasn't amazing defensively, and he did get taken advantage of. But, um, yeah, you love to see a role player, a smaller guy, hitting those shots that you really, really need him to, um, especially when Jason Tatum in game one, which I expect him to get better, but he did struggle. He had a mad game. He had uh, 12, 13, and 5. He struggled to score, uh, but he was great passing, getting those 13 assists. Uh, it really did spark a lot of the Celtics' offense there. Um, but he did struggle to score, and, uh, yeah, he's got to be better the next game because you're not going to get 26-point games from Al Horford and 21-point games from Derek White every night. Um, so I do think that it's going to rely on him more. But Jason – or I'm sorry, not Jason Tatum. Uh, Jalen Brown had a, a really nice game as well, showed up. Um and uh, the other thing I would say for the Celtics, I think we were talking about our predictions. We talked about the size with the Celtics versus the Warriors. And I think so far, Patrick Williams defensively has been a factor. Offensively has essentially been a non-factor other than some dunks and like alley-oops and cuts and things, which like, you know, that's his game for the most part. It seems like, like so I'll take it here and there. Um, and I obviously one game in, but I, I do think that the size it's interesting because I don't think either team really has like, they have players with size that can score and that are good defensively. And you talk about the Warriors with Andre Iguodala being decently sized. Um, and then obviously also Draymond Green being decently sized, but neither of those guys are like full size bigs. So on both right. sides, you're really lacking true bigs. Like this is a small man's series. Um, and I think you saw that reflected in game one, a ton of threes on both sides. Um, not a lot of like heavy paint presence. I think the Celtics got in there cutting and uh, driving uh, as did the Warriors, but not a lot of back down paint game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, kind of lacking on both of those teams, but uh, a shootout, 
in game one. And uh, yeah. And then on the golden state side, uh, you know, Steph getting six threes in the first quarter, love to see it for him. Uh, Jordan Poole struggling defensively uh, and only nine points in this game, obviously a young player expect him to get better. Um, His first finals game, you know, going to have some nerves. I do think that he is a defensive weak spot for this team. Um, And I mean, similarly to how Steph was for a lot of his career, I think he's a little bit better defensively now um, after the the experience that he's had and uh, gotten better. But um, yeah, we'll have to see how he recovers in game two going forward and in the series. And uh, at least if he can uh, output the scoring, I think that he's going to get his minutes, but um, if he's playing the way he was defensively in this game and only putting up nine points, uh, there's other people or other players that the Warriors could give his minutes to uh, in the series. So especially if they're losing. Uh, so we'll have to see. Um, but uh, Wiggins has been a key player for the Warriors throughout this playoffs, but uh, so far in game one as well um, in this series and, uh, you know, scored some good, nice threes, uh, got in there on some drives um yeah I mean he has been fulfilling his role it, it's really been nice to see what Wiggins can do now that he's not being asked to fulfill like a top scoring role um I, I actually saw like I listened to uh Old Man in the Three with JJ Redick um a podcast of his he's been doing for a couple of years and he was talking about uh Andrew Wiggins uh I think it was a couple of weeks ago and talking about how his resurgence as a player has been less so like that he's grown into, like people say he, Oh, he got better. Like he's a better player now. Like the thing is, is that when he was with the Timberwolves um, and you know, he was being asked to be a top scorer and a leader of the team. Well, now on this golden state warriors team, he's what the fourth option, maybe third option. Talk about Steph. You talk about Clay. Can you call Jordan Poole the third option? I think Wiggins is a starter. So, like, I don't know. I mean, he's somewhere in that mix, certainly. Um, and so he's, but he's not being asked to be at least the first or second option um, scoring wise. And I think that's taken a lot of pressure on off of him um, and allowed him to focus on his game more, uh, just take his shots when he needs them instead of trying to make something out of nothing. Um, and he's become the thing that he has gotten better at is his efficiency um, and being able to take less opportunities, uh, but doing more with those opportunities. So, uh, yeah, I've been glad to see his progression. Uh, not super glad that it's on the Golden State Warriors, because uh, I think everybody knows at this point how we feel about the Golden State Warriors and the Celtics. Uh, but a lot of players I like on both teams, to be honest with you, uh, even if I don't like the teams themselves. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely excited to see the Celtics up in the series right now. So, um, and yeah, I think for me, the big the big two players uh, on both teams, right, uh, one on each. Um, I think if Al Horford continues his random Grandpa Joe impression and keeps mm-hmm. balling out the way he is, I think it's going to be very hard for, um, especially defensively, because he can do so many things for them defensively because he is like a little bit bigger. So he can, you know, mm-hmm. give um, like the size problems to golden state. Um, but then he's not as big. Like you said, he, nobody has a true big on either of these teams. 
um, especially with Wiseman being out. Um, so like Al Horford gives you all the benefits of like a big, but he also has some of some of the same benefits as the smaller guys. Um, and I mean, he was money from uh, three point land. So yeah, I mean, I think if Al Horford uh, keeps doing his thing, it's going to be hard for the Celtics um, to be stopped. And then Andrew Wiggins, you know, I, I think as long as Andrew Wiggins keeps doing his thing, um, obviously I think, Honestly, Jordan Poole was going to be my other one um, besides Horford. But I think that the scoring ability that Andrew Wiggins has is um, a little bit more elite than Jordan Poole is right now. Um, I think when Andrew Wiggins wants to go off, he could go off for, you know, 20, 30 points. Um, and so uh, I, and I think that he does it differently than Steph and Clay do. Um, so I think it's a different look offensively when Andrew Wiggins is um, kind of the emphasis on the offensive side of the ball for, you know, a certain amount of plays or a certain amount of uh, opportunity or, you know, minutes. Um, so I don't know. I think all in all, I think it's going to be a good series. I'm hoping, I don't know, I guess, fuck it. just want the Celtics to win at this point. I hate both of these teams very equally, so um fuck it i guess the celtics could win another one um because fuck the warriors so except for clay thompson and his dog true agreed. i love clay thompson and his dog agreed his dog's adorable um and then yeah i mean I, I guess i'm kind of with you like i guess my thought process is at least the celtics like it's been longer since they've won I'm, yeah. i just don't want to see the warriors win anymore like right. what was that what was that stat we were talking about like they've made the finals six times out of the last eight years or something stupid like that. Like, it's just stop. Stop. Well, and, the, and then you had all those years where it was like them and the Cavs playing too. Yeah. So yeah. It's back and forth. Yep. It's rough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the very least we're getting some good basketball. Um, Interestingly, I guess the only the only thing that I would add uh, from game one that I thought was interesting was Terry Pritchard, who's a smaller guard on the Celtics, was kind of pointed out as being a potential, like somebody that the Warriors were really going to go after. Um, and I think in game one, they did try to go after him, but that size came up again because Terry Pritchard being smaller guard, obviously you can hunt for mismatches. Um, and he, he's... So he, I, at least in game one, Terry Pritchard was active enough on the ball defensively. He was swatting some and getting some steals and um, breaking up passes and things like that. And then he was quick to the ball and making those hustle plays. Um, so he was trying his best on defense. And the Warriors really don't have, like, they were putting, like, Andre Iguodala on him. You could put, like, Draymond on him. You could put, like, Wiggins on him. Like, and you can put... Because even Steph and Clay are bigger than him, so that's technically a mismatch. But um, you know they don't have anybody that's like gonna straight up abuse dude. You know what I mean? Like you can't just hand the ball, like switch to um, or like do a pick and roll and then switch them onto like Joel Embiid if you're the Sixers, and then just have Joel Embiid just back down this like five seven guard into the paint. Like you can't do that. They don't have the um, personnel for it uh, even though they do have bigger ish players um so i don't think that terry pritchard unless he like 
can't keep up defensively in the coming games um, and or doesn't keep his value offensively, I think he's actually going to get his minutes and he's not going to be like a gaping hole um, on the Celtics team in terms of um, letting the Warriors hunt for mismatches on him, which a lot of people thought that was probably going to be the case. Um, But so far, so okay-ish in game one. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, And yeah, I mean, uh, like I think both of us, did we both say Warriors in seven? For the for the series, or no, I think I said Warriors in six. Yeah, I think you said Warriors in six with the Celtics, and I think you said Heat in seven. Yeah, if it was, it was the Heat. So I don't know. Either way, right? As long right. as it's not the Warriors. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like resigning to it. Just like, yeah. Uh, so with that, uh, yeah, looking forward to the rest of the basketball we have to watch. Um, but we will go ahead and move on. And, uh, you know, to preface this part of the show, uh, Enrique and I are not hockey guys. Uh, we're not like cool. super smart when it comes to hockey. Uh, we certainly have watched some of it, uh, but we did want to include some of the uh, NHL playoffs, um, which is what we've been paying attention to. Um, in today's show because it's fun to talk about and been fun to watch. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously being in Colorado, I, I haven't been a huge hockey person, but when I do get the itch to watch some hockey, uh, it's the avalanche. And so uh, this playoffs, everybody is always saying, you got to watch the playoff hockey. It's electric. It's great. Uh, so finally watch some avalanche uh, playoff hockey. And wow, a uh, lot of fun. They are a heck of a team. Uh, that blue series was fantastic. You have the whole Nazem Kadri saga, um, his hat trick, and then uh, the Avalanche move on, and now they're facing the Oilers. Uh, 2-0 series. Their starting goalie got injured in the first game, and it was a, a it ended up being, like I think, like 8-6 to six or something. Like It was a stupidly uh, high-scoring game. And then the Avalanche turn around and uh, shut him out 4-0 with a backup goalie in game two. Um, so, yeah. So far, so good for the Avalanche. Uh, been a ton of fun to watch. Uh, Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr are absolute studs. And, like, there was a specific play in, uh, I want to say it was game four or game five of the Blues series, where Nathan McKinnon, we were losing by one, and Nathan McKinnon uh, got the puck at the defensive side behind the goal and went full ice like all the way and like just looked like he just looked like he put on different gear than anybody else on the the ice and like my just draw just dropped because it was one of those like superstar moments where you're just like oh my god what did this guy just do he goes full full across the ice jukes out like four different dudes along the way does some stick moves and then just flicks it up right into the goal um and the goalie had no chance at it. Um, and it, like, that's the kind of stuff where like, I, I, when people say uh, like electric area, uh, playoff hockey's electric, you got to watch playoff hockey. I was like, okay, I understand. I get it. It's just like a crazy level of athleticism. He just like kicked it into a whole nother gear. Um, but I will say, so if the avalanche move on, Oh, actually one other note on the Oilers series. Real quick, uh, fun little fact, Josh Manson of the Avalanche 
uh, player there. His dad was an assistant coach on the Oilers, so it's father v. son uh, in that series as well, which I thought was kind of fun. Um, and the son's trying to beat his dad to uh, get a Stanley Cup playoff berth, so or Stanley Cup uh, final playoff berth, I should say. Um, but, yeah, with that, uh, if the Avalanche do beat the Oilers and they move on to the Stanley Cup final, uh, they're going to face either the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, or the New York Rangers leading that series 2-0. Uh, and Enrique knows a little bit about what's going on with the Rangers as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been uh, I've been paying attention to the Rangers on and off. Um, like Ryan said, we are not hockey guys. And even further from hockey is I, because I... I do not associate with hockey at all, but um, I've been paying attention to the Rangers just a little bit. Um, and that's only, it's only because I root for the New York jets. So if I didn't have that random New York affiliation, I would not be paying attention to the Rangers right now. Um, but it's all over the jets, social media. Um, everyone in New York is going crazy about the Rangers right now. Um, and they are playing their ass off. Um, I, I believe they're, favored to win I, uh, this series as well. Obviously, they'll be moving on to the Stanley Cup um, series after this. I believe they're up 2-0 in their series. Is that right, Ryan? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, up 2-0 in their series. Um, and, I mean, quite honest with you, like I was telling Ryan the same thing, um, I'm probably going to root for the Rangers g- the rest of the way. Uh, and I'm sorry to break the hearts of my fellow Colorado natives and, and I just don't know what it is. I don't know why I don't root for Colorado teams, but ultimately um, I root for the Rangers the rest of the way, even if they play the abs, but if the abs win, I'm a fucking avalanche fan because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm just trying to have another parade, dude. I'm trying to party downtown again. Like, when the Broncos won, that was crazy. I love seeing the city lit up like that. I love seeing the city, like, just excited and ecstatic. And, um, you know, like, you know, you go on Facebook and Instagram, and that's all anyone is talking about is the avalanche. And, um, you know, I know they've been contending and uh, been up and coming the last few years. So to see them kind of start putting it all together um, is, is really nice. Um, but, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be rooting for the Rangers um, throughout the rest of their series. And if they do have to play um, the Avs, I'll be rooting for the Rangers. But then, depending on who wins that, the the series there is... Uh, I mean, if the Rangers win, then I'll probably just adopt the Rangers as my very far-fetched hockey team. Like, the, it'll just be my default hockey team. Just like I need, like, a default college football team, the Rangers right. will be my default hockey team if they win the Stanley Cup this year. Um, if not and the avalanche make it and win it, then I still will not be an avalanche fan though. I just, <laughs> I don't, I just, I don't know why, dude. I just cannot do it. Cannot do, cannot do it. You know what it is, Ryan? I just was made to debate sports with you. And if I liked every team that you liked, we wouldn't be able to debate sports. So Exactly. That's a great point. We had to be contrary to each other. It's literally um, part of the show. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. We got to have the different perspectives. That's perfect. And yeah, I mean, it'll be even more perfect if uh, it ends up being an avalanche versus Rangers, uh, you know, Stanley cup is like, 
even though neither of us are really, you know, like diehard hockey fans, uh, we can do a little crap talking over teams that we like kind of only support sometimes. Right, exactly. Kind of only support sometimes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I figured we would, uh, you know, give a little note to that. Uh, it just been a very interesting playoff so far. And, yeah, admittedly, I mean, as the Rangers are your default hockey team, the Avalanche are mine, and I've literally only watched their games. Like, I've watched nothing else from the Stanley. And I, I probably should, but I'm not there yet as a hockey fan. So, you know, we'll get there. Um, but with that, uh, leading up to UFC 275, we're excited to bring some changes and additions to the MMA section of our show. Uh, the first of which is going to be a new name, thanks to Enrique, which is the Mile High Fight Show. And I mean, I I love it. I mean, it was so once you hear it, you're like, oh, yeah, OK. Like, it's almost obvious. But like, I did not even once cross my mind before my wonderful gentleman here, Enrique, suggested it. And I think it's perfect. Well, luckily, um, you know, you you came up with the original name of our podcast, the Mile High Fight Show. Um, and I mean, honestly, it just literally fits right in. So, and I mean, yeah, like after you said it, like even after I thought of it, I was like, that was pretty easy. Like <laughs> I literally just took out one letter. So, But I, it never um, even once crossed my mind before you said it. And like it's brilliant you know what i mean it's dumb it's very very dumb but <laughs> i am very excited about um the new additions um you know that we're going to be bringing to this side of the podcast uh just because i am such an mma junkie um you know and i mean other combat sports as well you know um you know and we'll probably touch on um some more combat sports stuff going forward um and we'll definitely be bringing some more changes you know, to the mile high fight show side of things. Um, yes, but you know, it's still going to be formatted the same way um, that we do everything now. Um, you know, we'll, we'll do the flight show, you know, that stays mainly focused on football, the jets, the Broncos, you know, occasional uh, NBA talk. And, you know, at least this, at least this time of the year, we'll talk about the avalanche every once in a while, but um yeah, I mean, just very excited to expand a little bit on the MMA side of things because I know it's a sport that you're getting into, well, that you've been into for the last couple of years um, and that you're a big fan of. And then obviously I've been I've been entrenched, uh, you know, for a few years longer than yourself. So um, it's it's I love MMA as much as I love football. And I'm so excited to get to talk about it more uh, with you and talk about more of my favorite fighters. And yeah, we'll uh, we'll start it out this week. Uh, for the inaugural week one of our uh, Mile High Fight Show. I can't wait. Absolutely. Uh, just as you said, uh, yeah, thanks to you. Uh, I've gotten into, uh, you know, mostly the UFC, but trying to expand my horizons a little bit. Uh, and with that, we're excited to bring a little bit more onto the show as well and uh, talk about uh, some more expanded things within that realm. Um and yeah, I mean, I'm excited to talk about it with you more than anything else. So um, yeah, with that, thank you for everyone for listening. This has been the Mile High Flight Show. And for our MMA fans, we'll see you on the other side for our preview of UFC 275.